Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fidel. Every Monday, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on KKSM AM 1320, the Radio Revolution in San Diego, and podcasting throughout the week nationwide on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Website's freethoughtmedia.org. And before we get to the horrific attacks, if you would call it that, that happened today, um... I want to get to what might be the actual cause of terrorism, and my guest for tonight actually recognizes uh, that, for example, the Times Square bomber's motive was innocent deaths by the government's drone strikes in Pakistan, that what we do, our actions over there, have consequences, and no other candidate for president aside in the general election, of, of course, um, understood this. More, uh, nobody admitted to this. Nobody talked about it besides my guest for tonight, which is the guy I voted for in the 2012 presidential election. Joining me now is Gary Johnson. He's the former governor of New Mexico and was the libertarian presidential candidate in the year 2012, where he got 1.3 million votes in the general election. Uh, Gary, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Alex. Yeah, it took uh, third place in the general election, 1.3 million votes, and uh, right now we're on a uh, campus tour of uh, eight college campuses and universities over the next two weeks, and uh, and then we'll reboot and uh, try and go out and, uh, and hit some more. Definitely. So what's your impression on the election, and certainly with uh, uh, with your campus tour, What's your also what's your impression on the kind of sentiment in, in colleges? Well, I think young people really get it. Uh, I, I, think, I think the majority of Americans are uh, really libertarian, the notion of being fiscally conservative, uh, being socially accepting. I think most people fall in that category. I think uh, Republicans lost uh, mainly because of uh, a 
social agenda that uh, scares a lot of people. Should government, should you live your life by example? Should you change other people's lives uh, with your example? Uh, or should it be government, government policy? I don't think it should be government policy. I think we end up criminalizing activities that we may not agree with, but uh, we criminalize those activities. And uh, like I said, I think that's the I think that's the main reason Republicans lost. Exactly, I I agree. Um, and and the dis, it's kind of ironic that the decisions Americans made was whether a Republican or a Democrat will be bombing Pakistanis, Yemenis, Somalians. Etc. With with drone strikes, if you were president today, would those killings of innocent civilians in other countries have ceased uh, several months ago when they are actually continuing today past the uh, uh, inauguration of uh, President Obama's second term? Yeah, they would have ceased. I think that uh, I think for the, that for the most part, we think of these drone strikes as uh, getting the bad guy. Well. Number one, who are the bad guys? And there's no due process whatsoever when it comes to the bad guys. But let's just for a second, let's just for a second believe that uh, all of these drone strikes actually take out the bad guys. Well, guess what? They don't just take out the bad guys. They kill a lot of innocent civilians. And imagine if the shoe were on the other foot. Imagine if another country were flying drone strikes over the United States targeting bad guys to them, but of course killing uh, innocent civilians, and maybe that's your family, maybe that's a friend of yours, maybe that's a co-worker of yours, if the shoe were on the other foot, we would be vowing vengeance against that country, and uh, we would perhaps dedicate our lives to seeing that vengeance uh, take place. That's what's happening uh, with the United States, Uh, you know, war by remote control, killing by remote control. Exactly. And you point out uh, a fundamental misunderstanding we have about our foreign policy and what we could actually do to uh, actually stop terrorism is understand what, what, the, what the cause of a lot of it is. Um, and everything you predicted um, was going to happen, whether Obama or Romney were reelected, has pretty much come true, unfortunately. Um, even before inauguration, Obama had pretty much started three new, three new wars um, covert ops and, and foreign aid to Syria, uh, a kind of neocolonial invasion of Mali with the French, and enlisting Iran as an official enemy threat in the uh, new uh, 2013 National Defense Authorization Act. Um, given that, that those were all started before inauguration, what would you have done with those wars uh, if you were to inherit them as president if you were inaugurated in January? Well, what we what we need, to, uh, what we don't understand, what we think we are is we, we think we're standing up for democracy, uh, freedom uh, in these other countries. When the reality is, is uh, we're just we're just changing um, one oppressive government for another, and uh, we continue to do that. It's something that we've done during my entire lifetime and and before that, and uh, it's got to stop. It really has to stop. Uh, we may not agree with what's happening in another country, but because of our military intervention, like I say, we just trade one oppression for another. Mm-hmm. And Al-Qaeda is even in the ranks of the Syrian rebellion that we're helping to support. Right. Uh, it, it, it goes on and on and on. We, we, we don't seem to learn from the past. So we seem to... Uh, 
uh, duplicate the past. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result? Well, uh, right now, the, the world uh, is, is fearful of the United States. We're the bully. We're not standing up against the bully. We're the bully. Uh, foreign policy, military uh, action should be based on, look, if you hit the United States, uh, you're going to get hit back. Uh, but we've become the aggressor. We've become, uh, we've become uh, the country that hits first and the rest of the world right now, I think, uh, really vilifies the United States for, for what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's recognizing defense versus offense, and we're now escalating with uh, North Korea. We we never ended the Korean War; it was just a, a ceasefire. So, do you think? And we've had our troops over there um, for the entire time, and I know you would have uh, uh, advocating for bringing those troops home. Do you think that this is just fifty years of, of blowback coming back to haunt us, and should we be further agitating a country like North Korea? Well. I- um, we shouldn't be agitating North Korea. And why, why are we letting the words out of the Obama administration when it comes to, uh, when it comes to North Korea, I think are correct. And that is that they don't pose a threat to the United States. And yet here it is, you know, we're, we're, uh, flying B-52s close to, uh, close to the airspace uh, as an exercise. Well, we're just setting ourselves uh, to potentially have some sort of, accidents even in the area and uh we find ourselves then uh in a, in a new conflict uh let's, let's not let's not act as the aggressor north korea is a mosquito mm-hmm. uh, if they bite the united states uh, you know what they're gonna they're gonna pay a consequence for that but uh i don't think they're that crazy mm-hmm. that definitely goes back into the issues espoused during the election um calling to to war with Iran and and I want to talk about a bit about the election itself um, or the pro- the process up to it. Um, neither President Obama nor Mitt Romney mentioned you by name, uh, nor did they really address the issues you or others uh, espoused. They both agreed on many things like drones, healthcare, war, monetary policy, and anything else that they, that they didn't agree. I think was really kind of divide and conquer to make it seem like they disagreed in some areas. What would have happened if your voice was brought to the mainstream debates? Well, I think I would be president of the United States. Uh, <laughs> it's not a fair process. Naively, uh, I thought that I would, uh, running as a and by the way, running as a Republican, uh, becoming the Libertarian nominee, the message was the same. There was no change in the message, message whatsoever. It wasn't the conservative media that kept me out of the uh um, out of the debate, it was the liberal media that promoted, in my opinion, uh, Republicans that aren't representative, really, of even Republicans. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Bachman, Herman Cain, Rick Santoro. Uh, it was the liberal media that promoted these individuals as, as the voice of the Republican Party when, like I say, I think the majority of Republicans are fiscally responsible and socially uh, accepting. I use the term socially accepting as opposed to to, uh, to tolerance because I think, for the most part, we really don't care how other people live their lives as long as their lives don't adversely affect yours or mine. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And when they adversely affect yours or mine, that's where government has a role to protect us against individuals, groups, uh, foreign countries that would do us harm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What, what, what is your take on the commission on presidential debates and how, re- how the media just kind of jams like Obama-Romney, Obama-Romney uh, over and over again, uh, you know, rather than mentioning your name, you know, for every however many thousand times they mentioned theirs to really kind of codify the, the two-party system into our culture? Well, Alex, you, uh, statistically, I am mentioned uh, once uh, every time Obama or Romney's name is mentioned a thousand times. That's a statistical uh, fact. I don't know where they came up with it, but I think it's probably pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates It's made up of Republicans and uh, Democrats uh, with an interest to only have Republicans and Democrats in the national debate. Now, for me, out here on this campus tour, the idea is is to uh, actually garner enough support uh, for someone like myself talking about these issues and uh, potentially uh, polling at a level where uh, a seat at the table, a seat at the debate table becomes becomes, um, unavoidable. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you mean an alternative party candidate as well? Like, because do you think that uh, the two-party system is inherently the problem and that we're kind of just chipping at the edges if, if we expect the other parties to reform it? Well, right. I mean, there really is no difference between the two parties, uh, much as we'd like to think that's the case. Uh, re- Republicans uh, elected to uh, Congress uh, belly up to the trough, just like Democrats belly up to the trough. I just uh, I just happen to think that uh, Republicans are supposed to do a good job when it comes to balancing the checkbook. I don't know if a Republican would know a civil liberty if it bit him on the ass. <laughs> uh, and then uh, when it comes to uh, Democrats, hey, they're supposed to be good on uh, civil liberties. Well, they're not so good on civil liberties, and I don't think they they could balance the checkbook if their life depended on. What do you make of the Watergate-style tactics by the Republican Party to keep you and Judge Gray off the ballot in several states, purposefully uh, sucking money, resources, and brain power from your campaign for actual campaigning and, and shifting that into just staying on the ballot? And what do you make of the the morality of the GOP who tries to legislate morality in the government and claim that uh, Obama was like an ex- existential threat to voting rights in this country when these are their actions? Well, you hit on a lot of things right there. Uh, I, I do think that ultimately the, going to be, if not already, the demise of the Republican Party, that if they want to legislate morality, uh, they're not going to find themselves uh, legislating all that much longer because uh, people don't want to see that. And we raised 1000 the amount of money uh, that Obama and Romney raised and so, really, we're just, they could, they could liken us to, uh, to the mosquito. I mean, we're, we're literally non-existent, and uh, they're certainly not going to acknowledge uh, any third-party threat unless it actually is a threat by not talking about uh, third parties or allowing uh, any third party the opportunity to actually debate. Um, they, there's that exclusion that takes place. Look, you've heard that we've, we've all heard the notion that when you were in college, if you weren't a Democrat, you didn't have a heart. 
And if when you became an adult, you weren't a Republican, you didn't have a brain. Oh, Alex, I think we've all got hearts and brains. <laughs> we, we care about people, and uh, we really understand that the present course, the present spending uh, by government, is going to ultimately result in a monetary collapse. The government tells us that uh, there is no inflation when we all know that there's rampant inflation today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just bought a can of wood sealer uh, last week. And uh, two years ago, three years ago, at the same store, that can of wood sealer was $32, and today it was $44. Wow. So that's, uh, that's inflation. We all recognize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to comment a second on just some practical uh, advice for, uh, for anybody thinking about, well, what, what, do, what do we do in the face of the uh, Federal Reserve printing money to the tune of 30 cents now out of every dollar that we're spending, that not being sustainable in any way, shape, or form, I mean, what do we, what do, we do personally? How, how do we deal with that? Well, I would suggest that uh, anything that you're considering buying, buy it. Buy it now, because it'll never be cheaper. There is a lot more money uh, that's going to be chasing the same goods and services a result of that, uh, very simply, is higher price. Mm-hmm. And uh, you certainly were like the only presidential candidate besides Ron Paul uh, talking about um, repealing legal tender laws um, that uh, not, not just for purchasing but also for labor, um, which uh, kind of ties into the minimum wage argument because you know uh, the minimum wage is priced in dollars, and the reason why we need to raise the minimum wage is to keep up with inflation. So, really addressing the the root of it instead of just uh, the symp- or, or addressing the symptom um, that people can choose to be even paid in gold, silver, copper, um, food, uh, bitcoins. Even people could have the freedom to do such with with a repeal of legal tender laws. Uh, what, what what's your take on monetary policy? Well, just that, uh, that it's a rigged game. Uh, we have a, uh, an accommodative uh, central bank right now that uh, is buying up $85 billion a month in, uh, uh, in who, who's to say what it is? Are we, uh, well, we're monetizing the debt. They're buying up uh, U.S. trick. It's a closed loop. The uh, central bank is buying up, Federal Reserve is buying up our own debt. Uh, with money that they're printing, uh, they're buying up uh, equities, they're buying up mortgage-backed securities, uh, they're creating a bubble uh, that is uh, absolutely uh, not sustainable. And over the short term, look, things look uh, pretty pretty stable over the short term. I'm talking about the next couple of years, but uh, long term, there's a consequence to this, and the consequence potentially is hyperinflation. And, uh, uh, and a monetary collapse where the dollars that we have don't buy a thing. And all you have to do is look at uh, dozens of uh, dozens of civilizations uh, throughout the history of mankind where this same phenomenon has occurred. This is, this is not new. We're not immune from the mathematics of, uh, of uh, printing this much money. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and like you said, the any kind of gains that may appear to be now are all kind of just artificial. It's a it's a bubble, and and uh, it's definitely very important to recognize it. 
You also predicted during the election that um, no matter no matter who would win, um, unless it was you, of course, or, or any of the other alternative candidates, that civil liberties would be a disaster. And that has come true. Um, President Obama has renewed FISA, which is related to the Patriot Act, the NDAA, and targeted assassination of Americans by drones is now all the more possible. Do you think that Obama has just given us eight additional years of George W. Bush's policies in regards to civil liberties? Well, I've always said about Obama, you just can't disagree with what comes out of his mouth. Uh, what, what he says, um, I, 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 I find it difficult to, to, uh, to disagree with anything that he says. It's just that his actions completely belay uh, what it is that comes out of his mouth. Uh, we have continued military intervention. Uh, we're continuing to uh, spend more money than uh, what we're bringing in that uh, ultimately is going to result in the collapse of the United States and uh, civil liberties. Uh, look, he talks a great line, but the reality is just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And for those just joining us, I'm speaking with Gary Johnson. He is the former governor of New Mexico for two terms and was the Libertarian Party presidential candidate for the year 2012. He got over 1.3 million votes in the general election. Let's move on to the budget. Um, The budget deal has just kind of been a fiasco. Um, It's not really cuts. It's cuts in the increase. And what we are cutting are things like veterans benefits, but not the real elephants in the room like uh, our, our military spending, the empire. Uh, we have plenty of drones to pay for and new wars to pay for, agricultural subsidies to big farms and, and uh, corporations like Monsanto for them to you know, tax dollars to fund GMO uh, foods, a growing Department of Homeland Security, and other needless federal departments like education or energy, et cetera, that you said you, know, you are seeking to abolish to balance the budget. Um, what would you do uh, regarding the budget uh, if you were president, that, and what serious actual cuts w- uh, would the government have to make rather than just these kind of nibbling at the edges and, and you know, actually just going after people like uh, veterans for veterans' benefits? Well, I would be uh, submitting a balanced budget to Congress. Right now, that would be a 30% reduction in uh, federal spending. The big, big ticket items of military spending, look, we're spending more money uh, on our military, uh, on offensive uh, military action, than all the other countries in the world combined. Uh, and then you can't balance the federal budget if you're not going to address uh, entitlements, in this case, uh, Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, I think that the only reform that uh, balances uh, Medicaid and Medicare is that the federal government devolve itself of uh, delivering health care at all, uh, that they block grant the state a fixed amount of money, 30% less than what we're currently spending, and give it up to uh, 50 states, the laboratories of best practice. Uh, I suggest that if the federal government devolves itself of health care delivery, that the state's the states with 30% less money will actually create a very effective uh, health care safety mix. Uh, we'll have fabulous success in that 50-state model uh, that will get emulated by other states. Uh, we're also going to have horrible failure uh, by 50 states doing this that will get avoided by, by others. But that 
that as a model, and that's what the Constitution of the United States uh, originally, uh, uh, really originally envisioned was that uh, states' rights, 50 different states uh, with the federal government, uh, the sole responsibility uh, to, uh, to govern uh, under strict adherence to the United States Constitution. We don't live in a democracy. We, although we do elect our representatives, we live in a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. We're a country governed by law. Mm-hmm. In a democracy, you can vote yourself raised. Let's not forget that the demise of uh, Germany, the rise of the Nazis in Germany, had to do with uh, German citizens voting themselves a raised, uh, a collapse in their in their uh, in their dollar mm-hmm. and. Uh, in their and and that was that was what led to the to uh, Hitler coming to power. Mm-hmm. Exactly, uh, somebody coming in and saying that they'll save you once they're in that down point. And certainly, in regards to entitlements, a lot of people say the sky fall would fall, but you did that as governor of New Mexico. Um, did the sky fall uh, in regards to uh, Medicare reforms? Well, the the, the problem, uh, of course, Medicaid is really uh, the, the driver of state woes, if you will. It's, it's an entitlement that uh, that states only put up 25 cents of every dollar that gets spent. Federal government's printing their 75 cents. States actually have to come up with a quarter, and they find it difficult to do that. Uh, but, uh, no, we reformed Medicaid in the state of New Mexico. Now, uh, keep in mind, uh, it was still an entitlement with uh, no cap on it whatsoever. Uh, it, there needs to be a cap. We can't spend more money than what we take in. The ultimate result, if we don't uh, fix it, is going to be no money at all for mm-hmm. health care. That's a monetary collapse. Exactly, and then there's no health care for anybody. Um... There's no health care for anybody, exactly. Um, and, and you also said that uh, uh, you supported ending foreign aid tomorrow, and, and we mistake foreign aid for, like, food and shelter and water and medicine for people in other countries, but it, um, it's really kind of just guns and money to dictators. Many countries are committing human rights atrocities with our tax dollars, whether it be the tear gas canisters, U.S.-made tear gas canisters in Bahrain used against dissenters, um, the ethnic cleansing in Burma for the sake of an oil route, um, blockades in West Bank and Gaza, and even how Saudi Arabia is keeping a drone base for us. Should taxpayers be forced to pay for despots they don't agree with with foreign aid and even people that we do agree with? Is it worth to borrow and print that kind of money? Well, you, Alex, you could not have articulated that uh, any better. Uh, people, we all think that we're a benevolent country and that foreign aid has to do with uh, food and health care to other countries, when the reality is, is uh, you know, we're propping up uh, an incredibly uh, corrupt government, the uh, Karzai's, in uh, Afghanistan. That, that's foreign aid. That's, that's where a foreign aid goes, is uh, propping up the ruling classes in these other countries and uh, you know, promoting... Uh, despots that um, <laughs> promoting cronyism uh, abroad as opposed to what we think what we think it's going for mm-hmm. exactly and, and uh, it's it's not any, anything that our, our founders envisioned with a foreign policy um, also um, another thing that has continued through this election that you 
also predicted was uh, the Obama administration has continued crackdowns on medical cannabis, has not um, repented for the previous ones, um, uh, putting those most in need of it in danger of succumbing to their ailments or at least not being able to have their suffering eased. And, and of course, we had cannabis legalized in Colorado and Washington. What's your take on current drug policy and what may the future hold? Well, I think uh, that uh, the future is really bright for uh, for uh, drug reform, and uh, you pointed it out. Uh, Colorado and the state of Washington voted to legalize marijuana. Uh, we are going to see in the very sh- in the very short term the fact that the sky isn't going to fall in these states. That uh, these states are going to be better places to live because police will go out and enforce real crime as opposed to victimless, uh, non-violent crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the state of Washington, I would like to point out that uh, one of the issues uh, with uh, voting in this initiative is that uh, in Washington, if you test positive for marijuana, you can be, well, you are uh, then uh, guilty of driving under the influence when, in fact, uh, testing positive doesn't have anything to do uh testing for impairment. So impairment is a big issue. Uh, it needs to be established. What is impairment under the influence of marijuana? And it will never be legal to become impaired uh, and get behind the wheel of a car or become impaired and do harm to others. But uh, let's uh, differentiate between uh, personal choices and, uh, and impairment and doing harm, very similar to alcohol. I have always maintained that uh, legalizing marijuana would lead to less overall substance abuse because uh, people would find marijuana as a much uh, safer alternative than uh, alcohol. Exactly. And last, last few questions. Uh, I don't want to like ask you if you're running again in 2016, although I hope you will. Um, your possible opponent would, however, be Hillary Clinton, who... Um, is largely responsible for the torture of Bradley Manning, uh, witch hunt against WikiLeaks and whistleblowers, um, interventions in Libya and Syria, which uh, if to run on a supposed liberal platform, that's very something that Republicans would be more responsible for. What what, what do you make of kind of that um, field of of what you might oppose that uh, is kind of may falsely try to claim support for civil liberties and other kinds of things. Um, how, how can a true, independent, honest voice uh, make it in, into that field? Well, Alex, you hit on the crux of the entire uh, endeavor. I mean, how do you get heard as a voice outside of what is the mainstream? And that's Democrats and Republicans advocating policies that are very status quo and, uh, uh, in a nutshell, hinge on uh, continued military intervention, uh, continued spending uh, beyond our means to pay for that spending, and uh, further erosion uh, of our civil liberties. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those just joining, I'm speaking with Gary Johnson. He is the 2012 Libertarian presidential candidate, got 1.3 million votes in the general election. Uh, Final question. You've uh, restarted the Our America initiative and, and actually been joined by uh, a few people like Whole Foods CEO John Mackey, Barry Goldwater Jr., and, and Buddy Romer. 
Um, what do you plan to do with Our America Initiative uh, to spread the issues and also to uh, create an environment for, for future candidates and elections beyond um, to really kind of shake up the two-party stranglehold on our, on our electoral process and our policies? Well, right now we're on uh, in uh, this week and next week. I'll be talking at, uh, and I'm joined with uh, Judge Gray, uh, Jim Gray. Uh, but uh, we're talking, uh, presenting at uh, eight colleges and universities, and uh, we will be having a uh, a, a day long junta in Salt Lake uh, next Friday. And anybody that uh, would be interested in attending that. You can get online, ouramericainitiative.com. Uh, love to have you attend that. Uh, uh, on uh, how, how, how do we best uh, get this message out? How do we best uh, uh, talk about uh, ways of uh, fixing America that uh, aren't being talked about by the two major parties? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I've been speaking with Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico and libertarian candidate for president in the year 2012. Please, everybody, go online and visit OurAmericaInitiative.com. Gary, I wish you, wish you all the best of luck in getting this message out there and really um, uh, in the effort to make the Commission on Presidential Debates uh, obsolete by 2016. Well, Alex, uh, as always, uh, great to be with you, and thank you very much. And that was my guest, Gary Johnson. Uh, if you missed any part of the episode, you can check out the podcast on iTunes. Search for Free Thought and look for Free Thought AAC. It's no longer on Mediafire. I ran out of room. And it is a little past 6.30. That means it is time for the news. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the explosions at the Boston Marathon. So three separate bombs went off today during the Boston Marathon. Two went off near the finish line and a third one near the JFK Library. Many condolences condolences to those killed or injured. This is a tragic event and I am hoping that the government does not jump to conclusions nor attempts to opportunize on this tragedy to take away our civil liberties or implement martial law. Unfortunately, a no-fly zone has been ordered over Boston, and the cell phone towers have been shut off. So any of those hopes really have gone out the window. The government may try to pin this on those with quote-unquote anti-government sentiments, since there has been much propaganda to create fear in the public of those with peacefully held political views. And CNN already tried to say it was, you know, supposed right-wing extremists. This may also cause anti-Muslim sentiments, also due to false propaganda by the state and or the media. The actions of madmen must not be lumped in with those who are peaceful, though the government may try in an attempt to do away with pesky peaceful political movements who threaten nothing but their incumbency. Jack Bauer torturing someone in that show 24 could not have prevented this bombing. 24 is a fictional TV show. We must not let that kind of sensationalism uh, uh, promoted by that show turn us into savages where we rat out our neighbor for crimes of conscience if the government happens to pin this on people with different political views or those of the the Muslim faith. Before you know it, your neighbor could be indefinitely detained on merely suspicion. Do not let these types of events turn us into a police state. 
Peaceful people ought not to suffer incarceration for the actions of murderers simply due to the government stereotyping individuals in the vague, broad definition of domestic or homegrown terrorist. Let's not forget the Times Square bomber's motive was revenge for innocent deaths by drone strikes in Pakistan. Not to, ju not to justify his actions, nor those of the United States drones campaign, but I won't be surprised if this is a, uh, uh, some blowback uh, consequences of our action overseas. Uh, although I want to wait. They detained... Uh, uh, so the, the American government has been successful in keeping the public dumb and docile for decades while they slaughtered people in other countries with interventions in the Middle East going back to the 50s. But once the war comes home to haunt us, like with 9-11, we kind of wake up a little but only to be caught at a vulnerable point and then be fed anti-Muslim propaganda by the government. Once you're inalienable, civil liberties are gone. There is no getting them back. 1984 was a warning, not an instruction manual. If we ever get to that kind of 1984 society, there is no going back. The police have already detained one suspect, a Saudi Arabian national. Anti-Muslim profiling, anybody? Uh, but, but unclear as to why this person is a suspect and how they gathered so quickly that it was that person, evidence, uh, etc. So that's my point exactly. You can be innocent, but your rights can be violated by a whim of a police officer. Only the person whose rights are violated can understand the horror, the feeling of knowing you're innocent, but being taken in by the police. It's sort of like being in a straitjacket without being crazy. Those on the outside... Uh, of that situation, those who haven't uh, been in the straitjacket without being crazy don't seem to care or try to relate to that feeling. In fact, they justify it and they call for more laws like the Patriot Act that increase that uh, type of actions. Now, the bombings are, are was a horrific, senseless act, but we must retain our logic and not let our emotions be abused by political opportunists who seek to erode civil liberties. Now, police have asked people near the blast area to not record video using mobile phones and they have since shut off the cell phone towers and there's some been some eerie reports that there have been bomb squads beforehand with bomb dogs sniffing around and they are saying oh it's just a drill and this is reported by a local station 15 uh it's nbc station i forget where um but they 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 were interviewing some coach uh, a running coach and he said that he saw these bomb squads kind of sniffing around before the bombs went off. There was a controlled bomb explosion near the library, so the third one must have been uh, the bomb squad engaging in a drill. Um, and, and that was reported, tweeted by the Boston Globe. You know, these are reputable news sources. The local 15 NBC station, I, I'm probably getting the 15 wrong, um, but you can look it up. It's from a local NBC station. All these things kind of raise a lot of questions and unfortunately, President Obama's came out and said, we want to, ha you know, bring this person to justice. Well, they got one guy that's a suspect, but suspect means, you know, he hasn't gotten any, gotten any due process. Where's the evidence that he was the guy that did it? And I was listening to this free talk live, LRM.FM, by the way, if I may plug. Um, I was listening and they were saying, you know, Obama's and the government's just looking to have put a head on the platter for for the people to see so they feel a little safer, you know, that our government is keeping us safe. 
Well, I really, really want to wait a few days before we find out who or what did this and why. And um, and if it's somebody that is from the Middle East that is ticked off at drone strikes, well, maybe we should bring the drones home and kind of realize what actually causes terrorism, which is us being over there. We've been in, in, invading the, the Middle East since the 1950s. We, the CIA literally created Al-Qaeda in the 80s, funding the Mujahideen, training them. You know, Donald Rumsfeld and his big new Brzezinski working behind the scenes in there. And now they're, you know, once they got into the Bush administration, now, oh, they were against Al-Qaeda. I mean, it's just kind of an irrational circus that we're involved in, and it comes back to haunt us. Uh, you know, they go and bring the war to the Middle East, but eventually somebody from the Middle East is going to come and bring the war home to the United States. And as Gary Johnson said, you know, put the shoe on the other foot for once. Don't look through a nationalist eyeglass. And, you know, what if one one person was killed by a drone strike here over on our soil, it'd be World War III. You know, we're so high and mighty. We think, oh, oh, it's us. We have to. But but we've done, you know, these these the bombing in Boston. Those types of things happen every day, except it's a robot in the sky dropping bombs down on Pakistan. So who's the real terrorist? None are excusable. But we have to, you know, put the shoe on the other foot. So let's see what transpires and what real evidence, not just suspects, what real evidence we can gather. Um, Traffic here in the San Marcos area is pretty clear. Uh, There is nothing in the North County, San Diego area. Weather outside is 59 degrees. Broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. My name is Alex Fidel, host of Free Thought Radio. All right, now these next two songs I want to play. This first one is by Sons of Liberty, which is John Schaffer from Iced Earth's band. And it's a song, very fitting, called Don't Tread on Me. And then after that, legalize it by Peter Tosh here on KKSM. The Radio Revolution and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Be right back.
tired of governments murdering people around the world stop using their money there is an alternative bitcoin is a stateless free market non-political currency bitcoin cannot be inflated or controlled by any government by using their money you are helping the state stop doing it you have an incredible alternative available now learn it use it spread it get started with bitcoin at weusecoins.com that's weusecoins.com what does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. You're part of the radio revolution. Down with boring radio. KKSM. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. Those last two songs you heard were Legalize It by Peter Tosh and Don't Tread on Me by Sons of Liberty. Now, this weekend I went to the Death to All tour in Hollywood and it was by far, again, like not to, you know, the, the last Death to All show was one of the best shows I've ever been to, but this one certainly was one of the best shows I've ever been to. It was Paul Masvidal, Sean Reinert, and Steve DiGiorgio from the Human album lineup, plus uh, Michael Phelps, or no, Max, yes, Michael Phelps <laughs> doing Chuck Schuldiner. Now, Max Phelps, he's the new guy from Cynic. And, uh, yeah, they play, it was so heavy. I got I got a few uh, uh, Ustream things on my Ustream channel. Uh, pictures up on the Facebook, facebook.com slash freethoughtradio. Also, I went to the Monster Palooza in L.A. on that same day. Got to meet Giorgio Sukalos. 
from Ancient Aliens, and uh, also got a few cool things from Rotten Cotton, uh, this class from Newcomb High shirt, for the trauma movie, um, uh, bobblehead of the of the little kid from the movie The Beyond who got her, she was possessed, so they had to kill her, so she had her face blown off, and it's kind of like a removable face. You have her possessed face on, and then you take it off, and it's like the giant gaping hole, and... Um, so yeah, I got the soundtrack to Zombie and Cannibal Faroe. A lot of cool things. It was a pretty cool convention. I saw Ron Jeremy there. He's doing okay. Uh, a lot of cool monster makeup stuff. Very, very cool. But uh, again, the death, death to all thing was so amazing. If it's in your town, uh, go and check it out. And certainly, rest in peace to Chuck Schuldiner. Definitely been immortalized by people paying tribute to him in the and the concert was in benefit of a charity for musicians without health care because uh, Chuck was denied coverage for his brainstem cancer. And this next song I want to play is called Lack of Comprehension. And uh, it has to do with Judas Priest being sued over the two guys that like to kill themselves or whatever over the song that people are so quick to blame heavy metal for the ills of society and you know especially since uh, death was a death metal band people try to say that chuck was an evil person he hated life but you know he always goes went on interviews wearing a kitty shirt you know just to show that death metalers don't hate life you know we're all about positivity and art you know our pendulette had a great quote that you know uh, violence and art is, is to celebrate life whereas you know, real violence committed by our government with these drone strikes overseas killing innocent people in other countries. That's another thing. So um, I'm hoping that this song, Lack of Comprehension, uh, ties into basically anything, any, any uh, whether it's censorship of art or any kind of erosion of civil liberties in the name of whatever safety, um, that it's really a lack of comprehension by these uh, opportunists who want to squash liberties. So this is Lack of Comprehension by Death from the album Human here on KKSM the Radio Revolution and LRN.FM the Liberty Radio Network. Rest in peace Chuck. We'll be back after this with the news.
Lack of Comprehension by Death. And it is a little after 7.55. I'm joined by Toby Macy, KKSM News Correspondent with the news. Take it away. Good evening. It's 6.58 and I'm Toby Macy with this KKSM News Brief. Two bombs exploded at the finish line of the Boston Marathon today, killing two people and injuring more than 100. The two blasts happened within seconds of each other and were about 100 yards apart. Police found two other bombs near the race's finish line, which have since been disarmed and dismantled. Hospitals reported at least 105 injured, with at least 15 of them critically injured. There were around 23,000 runners that took part in the race. As of now, no arrests have been made. Tests on the Sprinter have been continuing, with one train making a trip from Escondido to Oceanside, with the new brake rotors that were installed. All 12 Sprinter trains have been out of commission since March 9th to get new brakes installed on all of the trains. The one train made the full 22-mile trip from Escondido to Oceanside and back on Friday, longer than the test done last week from Escondido to San Marcos. Tests are expected to continue until the rail lines reopens. No date has been set for when the Sprinter service will resume. A man who was set on fire while sitting in his SUV at a convenience store has died earlier today. The 63-year-old Jerry Arnold Payne was sitting in his Toyota SUV out in front of a 7-Eleven in Long Beach when a homeless man threw a flammable substance inside of the car. Police arrested 38-year-old Sean Clark a block away and held him for investigation of attempted murder. Sean Clark also had two misdemeanor warrants out for his arrest for failing to appear on other charges. A woman has died in Washington State and another man missing after two separate avalanches occurred on Saturday in the Cascade Mountains east of Seattle. The woman, whose identity has yet to be released, had been out hiking with her dog near a group of around a dozen people Saturday afternoon when an avalanche hit Red Mountain near Snoqualmie Pass. She was buried in five feet of snow and was dug out after being trapped for 45 minutes. She died hours later. Meanwhile, a 60-year-old man is missing after being caught in a separate avalanche at Granite Mountain on Saturday. The search was called off indefinitely due to poor weather conditions. It's currently cloudy here in San Marcos with temperature at a chilly 58 degrees. Broadcasting live, I'm Toby Macy, KKSM News. Thank you, Toby. We'll be back with Carrie Boiter of Free Chris Williams, legal medical cannabis provider, now jailed from Montana, right after this commercial break. Do you feel like there's nothing you can do about the inexorable growth of government? I did too, before I heard about the Free State Project. The Free State Project is a project to get 20,000 liberty lovers to move to New Hampshire to have liberty in our lifetimes. Early movers for the FSP are getting elected, involved in their communities, and participating in civil disobedience. Call 888-377-2515 now to learn more about the Free State Project. 888-377-2515 or visit freestateproject.org. You're listening to KKSM AM 1320 Oceanside. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. Here every Monday, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on KKSM AM 1320, the Radio Revolution, based out of San Diego. Also podcasting throughout the week uh, on LRN.FM. Go to www.LRN.FM to check out when the weekly podcast loop airs, and I cannot tell you exactly when. Because it's all based on rotation, so it's whenever the it's in in a certain order, whenever that comes up. Um, 
but be sh- they, they have a lot of great Liberty-based talks shows. So if you're not listening to KKSM, you should be listening to um, LRN.FM for your Liberty-based uh, news and opinion shows um, far outside the mainstream CBS and faux news, I like to call them. Fox News, but F-A-U-X. Going back to my first guest, Gary Johnson, how he predicted that, you know, civil liberties would be in, in shambles. And, hey, self-medication, choosing what to medicate, especially if it's a harmless plant, a flower. <laughs> Isn't that a natural right, an inalienable right, a civil right? Well, that goes to medical cannabis, and where it is legal under state law, it has still been cracked down upon by the federal government. And now, a few weeks ago, I had Joe Grumbine on. He's from Long Beach. Uh, he was prosecuted under state law, unfortunately, even though he was state legal. The judge issued a court order saying that he was, but he was still prosecuted under the state courts, where even in the state courts, he was, des- he was denied a defense for the medical cannabis law. Now, that's something that's very unusual, but in federal court, that is just the MO, is you get no defense, you cannot bring up medical cannabis laws in court. It's marijuana, and that's illegal, therefore, you should go to jail for forever. So, my next guest is basically holding the torch to get uh, Chris Williams, Montana cannabis caregiver, out of jail. Joining me now is Carrie Boiter. She is the head of the campaign to free Chris Williams. He is a currently jailed medical cannabis provider, legal under Montana state law, and we're going to hear all about him. Carrie, welcome to the program. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, so give us just a bit of background on the Montana medical mar- marijuana program, the laws, um, and how... Uh, Chris Williams Collective came into the picture and how he was following along with those uh, state prescribed laws. Well, Chris Williams' company, Montana Cannabis, was founded by himself, um, the first registered caregiver in the state of Montana, along with the lobbyist who had written the medical marijuana law and um, a former public defender who was actually later on would end up leading the Association for the Industry of Providers. Um, But it was formulated by an attorney, a lobbyist, um, a grower, and the first caregiver in the state. So um, the first caregiver had already been complying with the law, and the lobbyist who wrote the law, he was actually the co-author who wrote the Medical Marijuana Act in Montana, certainly understood the intent pretty well, and the attorney they had on board as a partner um, was able to understand how um, that law was being applied in current times. So at the time that it happened, it was really pretty liberal. Um, The law allowed for almost anything you needed to do to provide medicine for your patients. And um, actually, it was Chris Williams's partner, Tom Dobear, who was trying to put tighter restrictions on this law to make sure that there was really clear and unambiguous compliance and um, that people knew what they needed to do to you know, be in obeying this law. So Chris Williams's company was um, formed in 2009, along with the lobbyist who had co-authored the Medical Marijuana Act in Montana, and an attorney who was able to make sure that the interpretations of how they were complying with that act were in fact um, meshing up with the law. And also Chris Williams, who was the farmer of the group, and Richard Floor, who was the first registered caregiver in the state and had been already providing medicine to patients and doing so in compliance with state law. 
Now, when they were founded, um, it, it was just after the Obama administration had come out suggesting that caregivers who were in clear and unambiguous compliance would not be prosecuted under federal law. And so Tom Dober, being the lobbyist who authored the act, thought that maybe it might help ensure that everyone um, would be in compliance if they made some of the regulations a little more cut and dry and clear for everybody to, to follow. So he had actually introduced a bill to make it more strict and um, make it harder for caregivers. Um, he'd been working with the local law enforcement department, the head of the narcotics agency for the state of Montana, and local lawmakers to make sure um, none of the medicine was traveling out to kids who were underage or non-patients weren't getting it, um, making sure all the quality controls were in place. These guys were trying to operate a gold standard for safe access for patients. And so he decides to try and get this bill passed in the legislature. And rather than actually regulating it, there were some lawmakers who wanted to full-on repeal the entire act. They were very uncomfortable with the industry. And of course, Tom being the lobbyist who had been in Montana recognized that. And um, he decided to try with this regulation bill to really show that even those who were providers wanted to meet some standards and, and they were okay with that. And so he worked really hard to get these new regulations into place. But rather than even looking at regulating the industry better, it seems like the repeal is the way that the legislature wanted to go. And the effort in that was led by a gentleman who was a former DEA agent. Wow. And so at the time that they were considering this repeal bill, which was the same session when they could have regulated, but instead chose to repeal it, there were raids on 26 different businesses and caregivers. And those raids were actually right at the exact same time as the vote on the repeal bill not you know within the same week or even the same day they were literally happening simultaneously and while the repeal didn't pass that day a week later it wasn't hard for them to bring that repeal bill back and suggest to their fellow lawmakers that wow look at the federal intervention that just happened in our state very clearly we have no business having a medical marijuana act and we need to do something and so they weren't able to pass the repeal because it had already died but they passed what they considered regulation, but all the lawmakers who, who formulated it called it repeal in disguise, and it was de facto repeal. It made it so that nobody could provide medicine with any sort of compensation. So if you were going to give medicine to patients, you had to do it completely out of your own pocket. Um, and of course, there are some people who are willing to do that, but not enough to meet the 12,000 patients in Montana at that time. And so it basically forced 92% of the caregivers underground. And of course, Chris Williams's company, with the partner who is the lobbyist, being politically active and trying to show how you could safely provide medical marijuana to these patients, they were a prime target for the federal raids. And five of their companies were raided on that day in March of 2011. Wow. And uh, this, again, was under federal jurisdiction. Talk a bit about how um, I know it happens here, especially where I am in San Diego, but people that are paid by the state, uh, employed by this, as in, you know, state of California or state of Montana, um, they have no financial or, or ties to the government. They don't take an oath for the federal government. How is it that they, they can just get cross-deputized and then just one day put on a federal hat 
um, when they clearly are not salaried by the state nor taken oath. I mean, salaried by the federal government nor taken oath for the federal government. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's called cross-deputizing. And what they do is... um, when, when you are a local um, police officer, sheriff, any, any jurisdiction, the federal government can at any time, sort of like you might call in the National Guard to help in the state, the federal government can say, hey, officers, we need your help enforcing these federal laws. We don't have enough manpower here. Please come help us. And they cross-deputize these officers. And in the case of Montana Cannabis, um, they used members of the State Narcotics Task Force. And I had mentioned how the... One of the partners in Montana Cannabis had been working with the head of the Narcotics Task Force to make sure that they were doing everything above board and that they were strictly in compliance with state law. So that gentleman who was the head of the Narcotics Task Force and authorized his agents to go ahead and be cross-deputized and assist in these raids, he had toured Chris Williams' greenhouse. He had seen everything that was going on there and never did anything, never sent his officers in there. and certainly, if they were breaking state law, I imagine any time that any of those local law enforcement officers had come in, they would have done something about it. They were very open with law enforcement. They invited them in any time. They invited members of the community to come in and see their operation to make sure that neighbors knew exactly what was going on. And, you know, they really were the gold standard. So they had no problem completely being above board and open with anyone who wanted to see what was going on. Wow. Um, d- describe the federal imperative for them to raid. What was the kind of inclement that they used that they made an excuse to say, oh, that's re- probable cause or whatever for even though this is not a crime. What medicine or property was seized or destroyed, including, you know, if the like in the case of the Oaksterdam raid, the IRS even running amok um, and um, describe just the raid as a whole and how it affected Chris and his partners well you know they seized everything of course they seized all of the property they destroyed all of the plants genetics that had been developed you know for years um chris had been working on a strain for epilepsy and one of his patients um actually had been seizure free for several months because of this strain that he had perfected through working with her to get it right. And that's gone. That'll never come back. Now, I I haven't been able to keep up with that patient and find out if she's still seizure-free or if she has gone back to having seizures or had to go back to traditional medicine to treat her seizures. But at the time when Chris was helping her, his medicine was the only medicine that she needed to stop her seizures. And that's one thing that was destroyed that will never be gotten back. But, of course, they seized property. Um, They destroyed families. Chris's partner, Richard Floor, the first caregiver in the state of Montana, was sentenced to five years in federal prison. And like most caregivers and patients, he was really sick. And he he didn't belong in prison. Um, He had 30 different medical conditions that were wrong with him, osteoarthritis, heart problems. I mean, you name it. The list goes on. And at the time that he was sentenced, his lawyer told the judge, Your Honor, if you send this man to prison, he will not survive for a year. And as it turned out, Richard Floor only survived four months. And his family is left with his ashes. This is what the federal government left that family with. They took their house. They took their cars. They took the head of the household. Richard's widow is imprisoned, unable to bury her husband. There's only one member of that immediate household 
who is free, Kristen Floor, and she's left to fight this battle in her dad's honor, who's who who passed away in federal prison for providing medical marijuana to sick people who were terminally ill and disabled. And that's what the federal government really does to people. And that wasn't enough for them, taking Richard Floor away and taking everything, all of the people's property. They still insisted on prosecuting others involved, not just Richard, but his wife, who just worked for the company, another employee who worked for the company, all of his partners. And as a result, Chris Williams, having seen what happened to his partner who died, he went to trial. This is wrong, what's happening in this country. And 98% of the cases in the federal system are settled by plea bargains because people are afraid of going to prison for the rest of their life. That's what the federal government does. And in Chris's case, they told him, if you go to trial, you will face 45 years in prison and you will be convicted. And if you take a plea bargain, we might be able to get you as little as a year in prison, maybe even probation. But he wouldn't have been able to stand up and present any of the evidence to a jury of his peers, as the Constitution guarantees you. And Richard was unable to do that because he was so sick. And when he was first taken into custody, they took... His, a lot of his medications that he was on, and they changed those. And as a result, he had been poisoned in his brain from one of the medications that he switched that was interacting with another medication. And from that point on, his first time taken into custody on his arrest, he was never competent to stand trial. And so Chris felt a duty to go to trial to stand up where Richard could not because of what they had done to him. And as a result of going to trial, just like they promised, they had stacked the charges, and it actually wasn't 45 years that he faced. It was 90 years, a mandatory minimum sentence of 90 years, at least 90 years, and that's mandatory, and that's the minimum, and there's nothing a judge can do about it, and so when the country found out not only about Richard Floor passing away, but Chris Williams facing 90 years after being convicted at trial, they were intrigued by this. The New York Times covered it, Huffington Post covered it, Reason Magazine, even internationally, The Guardian picked up on this story. We put out a White House petition to President Obama asking him to pardon Chris Williams. After all, the punishment has been served. No punishment greater than a man's life can be put forth at this point. And, I, you know, shouldn't that be enough? We can't bring Richard Floor back, but we can at least stop taking other people into custody. And we can release his widow, who is serving time throughout the death of her husband. The last four months of his life, she didn't get to speak to him at all because the wardens of the two prisons hadn't approved them communicating. So he died without speaking to his wife. And that again, should be punishment enough, but they insisted with the 90 years with Chris Williams. And so because of the New York Times coverage and Huffington Post and the outrage from people upon hearing of this and seeing that there was an outlet in the White House petition, over 30,000 people signed that petition. And it was the most signatures that any convict has ever gotten asking for a pardon. And you know, we got a response. It was the same old response that we get every time. We're sorry, we can't comment on this under the terms of agreements that you signed by agreeing to do this petition, it, it says that they can just choose not to respond. And, but the point was made. And as a result, something happened. 
we don't know behind the scenes how it all worked out, but what we know is that a mediation was called for between Chris Williams and the prosecutors. And this was after his trial. He had been convicted unanimously by a jury. So the prosecution didn't have to do anything. They could have just let the judge sentence him to 90 years. But as it turns out during sentencing, we found out the judge had called for this mediation. He looked at this 90-year sentence and he had been appointed by President Obama. And so, you know, one would assume he's got a fairly liberal background. And I, I know he did not feel comfortable with this 90-year sentence. He admitted that in sentencing. And he looked at another case in Billings where a woman had been given a 150-year mandatory minimum. And four years later, a judge had been stewing over this mandatory minimum and he didn't want to implement this and he didn't he felt his hands were tied and he looked for ways that he could give relief for this woman he, and he found a little nook and cranny in the law and so that Chris's judge looked at that and it it didn't work for Chris so he kept looking and searching knowing that it was wrong to sentence this man to 90 years and he found that under some local court rules he could call for a neutral party judge to come in and mediate between the prosecutor and the defense and try and come to some conclusion that would significantly lower the mandatory minimums that were on the table. And so they sat down and it was brought to Chris that he could take a, an agreement, a settlement. This wasn't a plea bargain because he had already gone to trial. It was a compromise or a settlement but he would be able to argue for as little as five years in federal prison if he agreed not to appeal. And the way that they would do that is they would drop six of the eight convictions that had been lodged against him by the jury so that the mandatory minimums were five years consecutive to the other charge that he would still have on the table. And all he had to do was give up his right to appeal, you know, that fundamental constitutional right as if they hadn't already trampled on enough of his rights throughout the trial. During the trial, he wasn't allowed to tell the jury that he owned a legitimate business. He wasn't allowed to tell the jury that he was complying with state law. When they accused his company of money laundering for depositing money into the bank, and they brought in the local banks to testify that he had indeed deposited money into his bank account for his company. That's money laundering. He wasn't allowed to say, well, this was all part of a legitimate business that I was registered under Montana state law to do. I had business licenses given to me by the state. The jury didn't get to know that. In fact, one of the days during the trial, the headline in the newspaper said, defendant tells full story after jury leaves. And that really summarizes what happens in these federal trials. The jury doesn't hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They hear whatever truth the judge and the prosecutors allow them to hear. And I still remember one of the instructions for the jury was, you know, don't go use Google. Don't look up any information on this case, of course. You can't have a dictionary. You know, these jurors don't even, aren't allowed to have access to dictionaries if there's a word they don't understand. It's the uh, informed juries would be fantastic when they're deciding a man's fate, particularly when 90 years in prison, a lifetime is on the table. So that's the first problem. And this was all about um, Chris's choice to proceed to trial. All of his partners 
all of the other people who were charged in the case got less time than Chris. Some of them actually got probation. And that was because they took plea bargains and agreed to testify against Chris at his trial. And by doing that, they were able to get plea bargains. That's another one of the nasty little secrets of the federal government. What they do is they charge as many people as they can and try and turn them against each other to get as much evidence as they can by saying, well, if you go ahead and sign this plea bargain and cooperate with us and maybe even testify against one of your former co-defendants, you could even get probation. We'll, we'll argue for you to get probation. And, you know, when you're looking at 90 years, that's a pretty attractive proposition, and a lot of people take it. Um, Chris is in prison with a lot of medical marijuana growers, a lot of people who are following the state laws thinking that they could do this, and a lot of them were convicted as a result of the testimony of people who were their business associates or their patients or people they did business with. Like I mentioned in Chris's case, the banks came in and testified that he had deposited money, which is money laundering. Um, so that's how the federal government really actually makes the system work so well, is they threaten people with by stacking these charges so high and bring the, the sentence hammer down and then they say oh and by the way to not face that you not only have to plead guilty you have to cooperate with us and tell us everything you know about everyone you were ever involved with and if you cooperate enough then we'll go ahead and file a motion with the judge to to lower your sentence but it's all up to us to decide the prosecutorial discretion in this is crazy it's crazy before chris williams's post-trial compromise you know, they could decide exactly what to charge him with and how to charge him. They could decide whether he should get a different charge that wasn't even something the grand jury had indicted him on, how the sentencing should stack up, whether somebody, the, the cooperation was significant enough. And then in the case of Chris Williams, the prosecutors actually had the power to nullify a jury verdict. We hear about jury nullification, but how often do you hear about the prosecutors dropping six of the eight convictions that a jury comes in and spends time and a lot of taxpayer dollars to go through the trouble of lodging against a person and the prosecutors drop them after the fact so that that person will drop their appeals. It's a pretty rare thing, but it really exemplifies what they do in these cases. It's like Aaron Schwartz, where they threaten you for violating terms of use on the internet. And it's all up to them whether you're charged or you're not. They estimate we all break three felonies a day. We all commit three felonies a day because the criminal code is so complex. And Aaron Schwartz was a perfect example of that. His felonies were violating the terms of use service. Every time you click I agree on a website, that's the terms of use. And I don't know about you, I don't read them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they haven't prosecuted me and they haven't prosecuted most of my friends, but when will they? They chose to do that with Aaron Schwartz they chose to with Chris Williams and his medical marijuana operation, even though a lot of medical marijuana operations are still open to this day. Some of them they gave warning letters to. His business didn't get a warning letter. They just got a raid and an indictment. So how, how do we come up with some sort of way that's uniform amongst all these people? They certainly feel in the sentencing there should be uniformity. They come up with the mandatory minimums. But we need to make sure that these prosecutors are being held to some sort of uniform standards as well. Exactly. And 
just bringing up Aaron Swartz and and Richard Floor, two people that have fallen victims with their lives to this system, and it, I I didn't think about this um, before, but I was already disgusted by uh, the uh, Harold and Kumar video with President Obama. You know, just joking about this issue when there is clearly blood on 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 this issue with the death of Richard Floor and obviously the federal government's prosecution of Aaron Swartz. There's kind of the damage has already been done, yet it, it's kind of just being taken for a ride as a joke. It really, it really kind of disgusted me and. Um, I think that it is so great that, uh, unfortunately, that um, they. I think that you know blocking him from an appeal would be able to block political movement on this issue because you could take it to higher courts than to the Supreme Court, where they might actually have to decide on this. They've you know they've uh, you know treated the ASA versus DEA case like ASA is a bunch of children, you know, swatted them off. What what do you make of, of um, Chris Williams uh, doing? You know, like Chris and Aaron Sandusky were among the few that have actually said, no, this is actually not a crime. I'm not going to take the plea deal. I'm not going to rat out my friends or my business associates or my patients. I'm actually going to seek justice and try to, you know, just stand by this medicine, which is really just a plant. Well, I think it shows they're willing to squash the pursuit of justice at any cost, including nullifying a jury conviction. Um, They were whether it was that they were terrified of the appeal, because of course it was really a, a good appeal, or whether it was that they didn't like all the publicity that was happening around the world, really, it was international. 30,000 people signing on the White House website for a pardon for this man. I don't know what it was they feared, but they definitely feared that there might be real justice in this case. And so they were willing to go all the way to the lengths of nullifying these jury convictions um, and it, you know, it did bring about some justice. I, I have to say, it's hard to not be, I can't say happy with the ultimate outcome because Chris got five years in prison and it's wrong. It's wrong that anybody is going to prison for a plant that is non-toxic. It's wrong that anybody's going to prison for a victimless crime. It's wrong that 60% of the people in our federal prisons are non-violent offenders, most of them there for drugs. But five years is certainly a lot easier to stomach than 90. And it's a a finite end to all of this. And Mm -hmm. this war on drugs has been going on for generations. And a lot of people have died fighting this struggle. And for Chris... After all of it was said and done, and he's looking at this five years and losing his appeals, and he had obviously stood up and went to trial, and he got to tell his story in front of a jury of his peers. And in the court of public opinion, he got to tell it, and he's still telling it. And he will get to tell it again in five years when he gets to be out. And he has a teenage son to think about in all this. And so being able to get out and see him graduate from college see him get married, have grandchildren one day, not see any of that from behind bars. You know, I guess it's a small victory in some ways, but it doesn't feel like justice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at all of the victims of this war on drugs, you know, Peter McWilliams gave his life. And before that, 
you know, I recently, when I was going to Chris Williams's federal sentencing, I, I was so upset about the lack of people that were there in Montana taking action that I decided there's a lot of people out of state who want to be here for Chris Williams. So I just got to figure out a way to get them to Montana. And so I found a friend who had this bus. Joe Grumbine? Yeah, Joe Grumbine. Awesome. And actually, <laughs> Stacey Thies and Canasense and Jake Shepard had um, the green bus. And so Joe Grumbine and I team up for the Journey for Justice to Chris's sentencing. And we um, fill that bus with people who have actually been victims of this drug war. They've served time in prison. Richard Floor's daughter, of course, was on the bus going to her dad's partner's sentencing. And Jacob Shepard and Stacy Thies, who own the bus, and this bus is actually going on tour around the nation. It's getting ready to tour, so be sure to look look for it in a city near you. It's the Cannabis, um, but it's called the Green Bus Tour for Cannabis Freedom. And Jake Shepard and Stacy Thies, who are running this tour, have an amazing story of their own. Twenty years ago now, Jake's dad, Gary Shepard, a Vietnam veteran and Purple Heart Award winner, had a backyard garden of cannabis growing in Kentucky, and the federal government came in and said, sir, you need to cut that down. He said, no, I won't be cutting that down. I fought for my freedom. I gave my arm for my freedom. I can't lift it. And I am going to grow my cannabis plants over my dead body. You will cut them down. And so a standoff ensued. And Jake at the time was four years old. And his mother watched, him and his mother watched, as the standoff ensued with the Vietnam veteran and Purple Heart Award winner in the backyard over a garden of cannabis plants. Small, tiny garden. And a, a military veteran's fight for his freedom and his rights. And what they did was they shot him down in cold blood. They fired exploding bullets at him. And Jake watched as his father was killed at four years old. He was covered in his father's blood. His mother was hit by a bullet. And he was ripped from her arms after all of this, still covered in his dad's blood and put in the back of the cop car and removed from that scene. And 20 years later, he's with me on a bus to Chris Williams' sentencing, fighting because another man had just died for this plant. And when is this going to stop? You know? Exactly. It could be by presidential decree, literally a stroke of a pen that puts an end to this senseless violence that causes the violence worldwide. And I uh, went to Caravan for Peace uh, here in San Diego, you know, recognizing the effect it has on South America and, uh, and, and uh, Central America. And it's either the, the government doesn't see it or they like the profits that it uh, protects um, when, you, when you can't challenge the uh, pharmaceutical industry, the prison industry, um, anything that you can, you know, hemp plastic, the oil industry, petroleum-based plastics, you just go up and down the list. This is a kind of, I hate to sound brash or even conspiratorial, but it sounds, this is sadistic and, and um, you know, uh, the 90-year, like just that mandatory minimum sentences are bad to begin with, but the 90-year came about because uh, Chris Williams also had a firearm. Uh, 
How does how do how did the how did the unrelated firearm that was unrelated to his nonviolent cannabis caregiving uh, service how how did this uh, case violate his Second Amendment rights and what does the Truth and Trials Act offer to maybe cause some relief for the fact that they he can't even bring up a medical cannabis law as defense in court? Well, yeah, I, I mentioned that um, the sec, you know, that his constitutional rights were violated. Obviously, he went to trial and he was punished significantly for going to trial, and that's not the way it's supposed to work under the Constitution. Um, he, you know, had all of his rights. We, we've looked at it. The lawyers have looked at a lot of things, and we've all talked about this case. And it, it looks like every single one of the Bill of Rights were violated, from freedom of speech to the Second Amendment to the Tenth and Ninth Amendments, of course, with state law and Sixth Amendment rights to counsel and trial and everything's been violated, every single one of them. And, and the biggest thing what happened in this case was the guns. Now, Chris Williams is from Montana and the way of life there is a lot different than what a lot of people are used to. I was born and raised there and almost everyone I know hunts. They hunt and they fish and they camp and they hike. And that's part of what makes Montana so wonderful is the wilderness and getting back to nature and that, that instinct that thrives in us humans deep down somewhere to survive. And so Montanans have tapped into that. And part of that is hunting. And so Chris Williams definitely had some hunting rifles. Um, now, these weren't the ones involved in this case, but he was a hunter. I don't want to make it seem like he didn't believe in his Second Amendment rights. He, he was a hunter and often went hunting with his rifles. But in this particular case, these guns that were seized and used against Chris Williams were, um, many of them actually kept hundreds of miles away from where he worked and lived. Some of them were at Richard Flores' house. Some of them were in an employee's trailer. Um, some of them were in the greenhouse where Chris worked, but they were in a back room far away from the plants in a safe. Um, and he was charged with possession of firearms in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime. And that's actually how the 90 years come about. Because what happens when you face a gun charge, and in this case he faced four of them, each different weapon, you know, or grouping of weapons. In one case, you know, Richard Flores' house, he was a gun collector and belonged to a rifle club. So he had several um, unique antique guns and things like that, collector's items. And in that case, um, those guns were one charge. And the, the one gun that they found at an employee's trailer was one charge. And the guns at the greenhouse were one charge. And so they stacked those up. And when you have these guns charges, because, you know, we've all seen what happens with these school shootings. And, you know, the reaction from lawmakers is to pass legislation that will significantly curb any potential of that ever happening. So as a result, we have these mandatory minimums attached to gun charges when they're used in furtherance of drug trafficking crimes. And these were developed back um, in mafioso days when there was a lot more violence associated um, with the drug trafficking, of course. Now, there still is today with certain, um, you know, obviously cartels um, down south are, are pretty violent. But they're using that kind of a theory 
of drug trafficking and guns against the average person who just has guns for sport in their home or to protect their life, limb, and property, and they're saying those are actually being used for drug trafficking when they're not. And when these mandatory minimums stack up, one charge is five years consecutive to whatever you get on the, gun, on the drugs. And then the second charge is 25 years consecutive to that five. And the third charge is 25 years consecutive to that. And the fourth charge is 25 years consecutive to that. So right there, you're looking at 80 years just on the gun charges. And again, some of these guns were kept hundreds of miles away from Chris Williams' house and, and where he worked and his company. And none of them had his fingerprints on them. None of them belonged to him. You know, like I said, he was a hunter and he certainly used guns at times, but these guns that he's charged with didn't belong to him. It was constructive possession because he was charged with conspiracy. He was being held liable for all of the crimes of his co-defendants. Now, we talked about how the prosecution can offer plea bargains and drop a lot of the charges. And all of the co-defendants in this case took plea bargains. Not all of them cooperated. And that's why many of the co-defendants actually went to prison, because they didn't cooperate. But they did take plea bargains. And so as part of their plea bargain, the gun charges were dropped. So the actual owners of the guns never faced charges for the guns themselves. Just Chris Williams faced charges for those guns. And why did he face charges for those guns? Well, it was because he refused to take a plea bargain. And he refused to take a plea bargain because he has a constitutional right to have a trial before a jury of his peers. And he exercised that right. So as a result, he faced a significantly heavier sentence only because he went to trial, because he was charged with gun crimes that none of his co-defendants ended up facing charges for or being convicted of because of plea bargains and prosecutorial discretion. Wow. Um, um, talk a bit about um, how he couldn't use a medical cannabis law um, defense in court because they don't recognize state law and they don't even allow you to bring that up. Uh, it would be disbarred and stricken from the record and any hope with that from the Truth and Trials Act. Yeah, you know, Chris thought he was going to get to present a medical defense. A lot of people go on trial thinking they're going to get to present a medical defense. Um, and some of the decisions about what defenses he could and couldn't make were made literally the morning of the trial before jury selection. It was that morning that a judge decided he couldn't use an entrapment defense. And, you know, in the weeks just prior to the trial, couldn't use a medical marriage. You get closer to trial, you have fewer and fewer ways to attack this argument that you are dealing drugs because how can you say you were obeying with state law if the judge said no that's not relevant in court and i'm not going to allow you to admit that as evidence and how can you say well the head narcotics officer for the state came in and viewed my greenhouse and didn't cut any of it down or tell me that i i would be prosecuted federally and isn't that entrapment well, the judge strikes that defense down the morning that the jury is selected. Well, there you go. You're going on trial, and now your lawyer's got to scramble and figure out exactly how he's going to present a defense, if he's going to present a defense. And at this point, Chris didn't have one. What they were able to do is they said, the prosecutors brought him up on the stand and, and said, Mr. Williams, were you growing marijuana? 
Yes, I was. Were you distributing marijuana? Yes, I was. Were you, did you have, did you have weapons? Did you ever use firearms? Yes, I did. So that was what they asked. And in return, his lawyer wasn't able to cross-examine him and say, well, Mr. Williams, were you complying with state law when you grew that marijuana? And Mr. Williams, when you distributed that marijuana, were you distributing it to state legal patients who are terminally ill and disabled? And Mr. Williams, when you possessed those firearms, what were you using them for? Were you using them for providing the drugs or were you using them for hunting? And that wasn't allowed to be introduced. So basically, it was pretty easy for a jury to convict him on the, on the drug charges. But the gun charges in Montana there was a juror who really had a problem with convicting Chris on these gun charges. But all the other jurors felt that the way it had been described to them in court by both the judge and the prosecutor, that it was cut and dry. Um, and since then, actually very recently, within the last month, the 11th District Court has ruled that just because somebody has drugs and also has guns, does not mean that they are automatically connected. But of course, Chris has given up his right to appeal. So that doesn't apply to him now. And he's now serving time on a gun charge. So the judge made it very clear in Chris's case, I got a lot of contact about medical marijuana, but this is about guns. Mr. Williams is charged with a gun crime, and that's why he's gonna serve five years in prison. But we have to remember that these guns were completely legal, if not for the medical marijuana being there. It was possession of a firearm in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime. So if there was no drug trafficking crime, medical marijuana, these guns were legal. He couldn't have been charged. So it really is about medical marijuana and less about the guns. It's just that they used the guns to make their argument more palatable when the public said this isn't right. Wow. Just, it seems like either a circus or the twilight zone. Um, it's, it's insane. For those just joining, I'm speaking with Carrie Boiter. She is the head of the campaign to free Chris Williams, a state legal medical cannabis provider who is now sitting in jail, unfortunately, and without his rights. Um, how is Chris doing right now, and uh, where can people write to him? Chris is an amazing individual. On top of having courage and conviction to stand trial in the face of danger, you talked how rare it is for people to go on trial, Aaron Sandusky and Chris Williams. I can actually name most of the medical marijuana caregivers who have gone on trial. That's how rare it is. Out of the 70 who've been raided by President Obama and the hundreds who've been indicted as a result of those raids, less than 10 have gone to trial. And Chris Williams is one of them. In addition to that courage and conviction, he has one of the most positive, upbeat attitudes I've ever seen. This man wakes up in a federal prison camp and goes out and will write me an email about the beauty of the sun cutting through the fog on the you know, Federal Correctional Institute as it lifts. And it's just amazing that he can still see the beauty in such a horrible place. And especially after 
his partner and his dear friend died at the hands of the federal government over this. He still sees the beauty in where he's at. He still enjoys life. He still has principles. And they can't cage his mind or his spirit. And so I respect him greatly for that. And, you know, it does help that people are, are supporting him um, because of people helping put money on his books and um, all, all, also sending letters to him. You know, he gets a lot of letters that help lift his spirits all the time. But with putting money on his books, little things like being able to send those letters in response or being able to have maybe a package of cookies once in a while or... You know, I've got a commissary list here. Things like coffee, you pay $9.55 to have your own coffee, and you don't get it any other way. So just to have those kinds of little things, um, a lot of people have stepped up to help Chris, and so he's been able to have some of those little things that make him feel like he's got some normalcy. Some of the things he was used to from the outside, he can have on the inside. And in addition to his attitude, and being so upbeat and positive, that really helps him stay connected. And then, of course, there's emails and phone calls, which are not cheap in prison. He has to pay in five-minute increments to email. Um, but because of the support from the outside, he's been able to do that and stay in touch with his son, stay in touch with you know, the supporters. He's been able to write back to them, whether it's email or letters. He can... Um, you know, there's a lot of strange rules and restrictions. So he can only have so many people on email, but he can have a lot more on mailing letters, which of course costs even more because you have to buy the stamps <laughs> and the envelopes and the paper. Um, but thanks to the PayPal account at freechriswilliams at yahoo.com, people are able to contribute to that and he's getting regular payments um, to be able to put money on his books. And he was able to save up and actually get an MP3 player. And so he now has music. He has... Awesome about seven songs <laughs> that he's been able to afford. Um, but those are bringing a lot of joy to his day. Um, he used to love live music. And so he's got some live, some music that reminds him of a lot of the live shows he saw and takes him back to those moments. And so little things like that become a really big deal when you're in an environment that everything is controlled in. And, you know, getting a, daily delivery of mail or even a weekly delivery of mail is a huge deal. And so just writing him a letter would mean the world to him. And you can send him a letter or a card at Christopher Williams, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R, Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And you have to add his register number at the end of that, 11839-046. And the address is FCI Sheridan Satellite Camp, P.O. Box 6000, Sheridan, Oregon, 97378. And sending him your letters and letting him know that we haven't forgotten about him and that we'll be here for him when he gets out in five years help him endure this time that he's dealing with. And I did actually just return from Oregon today. I got approved for visitation on Friday. And so I got to go visit him this weekend for the first time and give him a hug for the first time since sentencing. This was the first hug he had in six months. And that was really nice, you know. Um, it's, of course, in a federal prison. And, you know, it's really sad seeing all the families there and telling, having Chris tell me, 
yeah, that guy right there is here for medical marijuana. And that guy right here is here for medical marijuana. That guy's here for pot. And seeing all of their families who are suffering through this just as much as the prisoners themselves, it's not easy to drive into that federal correctional institution with barbed wire all around it. And it's even harder to leave your loved one there. And seeing all of those families who are devastated by this war on drugs, you know, it's, it's really motivates you to want to stop it and change it and do something to make the world better and end this painful journey for these families and these children. There were so many children in there who are growing up without their parents. It's just so saddening to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, for those, uh, you can get the address to write Chris Williams at the Facebook page. Uh, just search for Free Chris Williams. And again, freechriswilliams at yahoo.com is the PayPal, PayPal handle. Be sure to donate if you can. Um, even a little goes a long way, a dollar, um, anything. Um, do you have any, any final words for our listeners? Um, uh, again, uh, any other places they can find it online? Um, videos that they maybe can see of of activism, like uh, of uh, coverage of the news or anything like that, and, and just your thoughts on, on the whole situation. Well, for those who might have questions about just the lengths Chris Williams went to to comply with state law, there is a New York Times documentary video on Chris Williams, and it's called The Fight Over Medical Marijuana, and you can just Google The Fight Over Medical Marijuana in New York Times and see the video of Chris giving tours to the head narcotics officer for the state of Montana and the local lawmakers and, and see everything he was doing to try and comply with state law. And there are some bills in Congress that you can support um, that would have made a difference for Chris Williams. There's the Truth and Trials Act that you mentioned, Alex, and that was brought to us by the fine folks at Americans for Safe Access that would allow our caregivers to present a defense in court, in federal court, where they're not being able to present these defenses. And there was also another bill at that same time simultaneously dropped in Congress from Representative Blumenauer in Oregon, which would allow marijuana to be rescheduled to Schedule Three, And that would allow important research to take place on this medical herb because right now they're insisting that there's no medical value to cannabis and so no research is being done because of that and so mm-hmm. if they rescheduled the schedule three research could be done mm-hmm. the D- the dea um, the dea blocks research grants they control who can research it and going back to epilepsy epileptic uh, uh patients who um see their seizures almost eliminated or controlled um, it's really their physical proof of it happening. Unfortunately, they can't consider that scientific evidence. It has to be done in a lab or what have you uh, with peer review and so on and so forth. Uh, but making it illegal is just makes it you can't even study it. It's, it's, it's got to be the most nonsensical part about all this. Well, in order to study it, it has to be approved by the federal government and of course they're not eager to end prohibition anytime soon because of all the monetary interests you talked about um, but there are other other ways to get relief for these people too without even talking about cannabis I talked about the mandatory minimums mm-hmm. and there's the justice safety valve act 
which would make a huge difference. It would have made a huge difference in Chris's case. There's this one little tiny loophole that judges can use. And that's actually what they ended up using in the case of the partners who got probation was the safety valve. But because Chris was charged with a gun crime, no safety valve. If you don't accept responsibility, you can't get a safety valve. If you have a prior criminal history, you can't get a safety valve. And so the legislation introduced by Senator Leahy and Rand Paul out of Kentucky were, uh, would actually make it so that that safety valve could be applied to more federal prisoners. And as a result, we would hopefully end this massive overcrowding of our prisoners. 2.2 million people are in prison right now. That's equivalent to the number of people that work at the Walmarts all across the country. If you took every single Walmart worker and put them in prison, that's how many people are, are in prison in our country right now. It's more than any other country ever in history has incarcerated of their own citizens. So we complain about human rights abuses abroad, and yet here we are locking up more of our own citizens than the worst dictators that have ever existed in history. <laughs> and so just by looking at mandatory minimums, we could relieve that. By looking at federal good time, I don't think people realize when you're in the federal system, you serve it all. There's no such thing as parole. You serve 85% of your sentence at at least, usually more than that, the most relief they can give you is 15% off. So on a five-year sentence, you serve four years and three months. On a 10-year sentence, you serve eight years, over eight years. And so, you know, just by extending that, 54 days of good time people can get in a year to 128. Now, that means they'd still serve two-thirds of their sentence. But that right there would alleviate our overcrowding and save us an estimated $1.2 billion. Whoa. So it's really important that we take a look at some of these, these programs. We heard about all these sequesters and, um, you know, Attorney General Eric Holder saying, oh, we're going to suffer horribly and there's going to be all these violent criminals out on the streets and <laughs> we won't be able to apprehend them because we're not going to have any money because of the sequester and we have to cut 1.6 million dollars and, and that's just almost impossible to do and and we could do 1.2 of it just by extending good time for federal inmates mm -hmm. exactly it's so absurd and it's just such a harrowing and, and painful story especially with the death of richard floor which is just analogous to so many people throughout this 70 plus year war on drugs um, especially since it's got, gotten more ramped up with police militarization and everything like that. I wish all the best for Chris Williams, and hopefully um, we can maybe reform it so he could get pardoned and uh, be let out early. We'll definitely be pushing for clemency, both a pardon and commutation. Yeah. Um, we obviously have asked for it already through the Court of Public Opinion and the White House petition site. Um, but they did say, you know, go ahead and apply officially. So I know Chris is going to be working on that effort, and maybe we can get the public behind that again when he does that. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for everything you do for Chris and, uh, and everything you do for justice. I've been speaking with Carrie Boiter. She is the uh, head of the campaign to free Chris Williams, a jailed state legal medical cannabis provider. Carrie, thank you again for joining the program.
Thank you, Alex. And Carrie mentioned, you know, Chris appreciating the things in nature, the little things. So this song is called Sun is Shining by Bob Marley. Then after that, the news brought to you by Coplock.org and my partnership with LRN.FM right after this. KKSM Oceanside, AM 1320, the Radio Revolution and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Gather the rainbow, yeah, yeah. Want you to know I'm a rainbow too. To the rescue, here I am. Want you to know, y'all. Can you, can you, can you understand? Sun is Shining by Bob Marley for for Chris Williams, you know. It is almost, it is 8 o'clock. You're listening to KKSM Oceanside, AM 1320. It is time for the news. Now this is brought to you by copblock.org and lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network, where my show broadcasts uh, later in the week. Before you cross the street, you better look both ways Or we'll throw you in the pokey for a dozen days And all around the county, every woman and man knows We'll pull you over just to play our banjo The Police Accountability Report Brought to you by CopLock.org CopLock is a decentralized project supported by a diverse group of individuals united by their shared goals of police accountability, education of individual rights, and the dissemination of effective tactics to utilize while filming police. And that's the plan, Joe. From Keene in the Shire, the Liberty Media capital of the world, this is Daryl W. Perry, host of the Police Accountability Report, brought to you by CopBlock.org. This week, a story that should cause anyone critically thinking to see that those wearing badges aren't always operating with the best of intentions. A $20 million lawsuit was filed on April 9th against the town of East Hartford, Connecticut, and members of the police department claim police conspired to falsely arrest a 12-year-old boy after he was assaulted by an officer at his home. The lawsuit stems from an incident that occurred November 15th when Lisa Freeman, a social worker with the Department of Children and Families, called police to the home of Carla Human to assist with getting Human's son to a court-ordered psychological evaluation related to truancy. Officer Woodrow F. Tinsley III responded and told the boy, who was wearing only underwear and refused to get off the couch, that he had, quote, two seconds to get dressed or he would go as he was, end quote. The boy refused. Tinsley exploded, put the boy in a headlock, and punched him in the face. When Tinsley tried to pull the boy outside in his underwear, the boy grabbed both sides of the doorframe, and Freeman, quote, fearing that Tinsley would break the child's arms, pulled the child's hands off the doors, end quote. Despite pleas to stop from Freeman and the child's mother, Tinsley continued to assault the child, dragging him back into the apartment and handcuffing him face down on the floor where he punched him in the face and stomach and kneed him in the neck and head. When other officers arrived at the scene, including Officer Kenneth Sullivan and Sergeant Stephen Syme, 
who are named as defendants in the suit, along with Tinsley and police chief Mark Siros. Police joked and bragged about beating a Hispanic, saying that Tinsley's beating of a child was good practice for his participation in mixed martial arts. After Human and Freeman complained to the other officers that Tinsley had used excessive force, the officers conferred and decided to manufacture charges against the child in order to cover up the misconduct. Tinsley, at the direction of Syme, arrested the boy and charged him with interference with an officer and assault on a police officer. He then went to DCF offices in Manchester to speak with Freeman, who rebuffed this attempt and executed a handwritten statement that referenced Tinsley's misconduct and punching of the child. The boy, who is described in the lawsuit as disabled due to developmental disabilities, including depression and autism, was taken to juvenile court in police custody, released, and subsequently received treatment in Connecticut's Children's Medical Center for bruising and internal bleeding. The criminal charges against the boy were dismissed with prejudice by a judge last Monday, meaning that the boy cannot be retried. Tinsley was placed on paid administrative leave on November 28th, while the department conducted internal and criminal investigations, according to the police chief. The chief said that Tinsley was returned to active duty on December 21st after the criminal investigation determined that there was no probable cause for his arrest. And Copblock would like to congratulate the winner of the Checkpoint Contest. On March 4th, Copblock announced the Checkpoint Contest, which solicited content that best demystifies checkpoints and educates others about their rights should they encounter one themselves. Congratulations to Gavin Seam. To watch Gavin's video, go to copblock.org slash checkpoint contest. In fact, you can watch all of the video submissions. For winning, Gavin was given the Viho Movie Gumball 3000 HD video camera. That's this week's Police Accountability Report brought to you by copblock.org. I hope you'll take a moment to consider just what it is you are being forced to pay for via taxation and speak out against the corruption. Until next week, stay safe and remember that badges don't grant extra rights. When you're in our county and you want to drive, just remember to go 55. Because all around the county, every woman and man knows well. There are some problem areas in traffic at the 78 westbound at Twin Oaks Valley Road. 48 miles per hour slowdown and that about does it for the traffic. That has been your news. Broadcasting for KKSM and LRN.FM. My name is Alex Fidel. Hosts here at Free Thought Radio. Adam Masonberg, candidate for sheriff in Whitman County, Washington, is my guest up next after this short break. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. KKSM Oceanside. You know, women are a complicated bunch. AM 1320. They're like grapes. That's all I got, because I said bunch, yeah. and then I thought of grapes. Radio Revolution. Joining me now is Adam Asenberg. He's a cannabis activist and a candidate for sheriff 
in Whitman County, Washington, and he lives in Colfax, Washington. Adam, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So uh, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, why uh, you decided um, to um, take up activist causes specifically for uh, medical cannabis and, and that type of freedom issue. Well, because of the simple fact that I used to be a security officer back in 1985, waiting to become an L.A. police officer, and I was guarding dynamite on the job. Some people tried to steal dynamite. I got involved in stopping the theft. For my trouble, I was hitting the back of a baseball bat, thrown 15 feet off a bridge onto boulders, and left for dead. Wow. And because of that, I was all of a sudden having to take up to 500 milligrams of morphine a day for pain, as well as 60 milligrams of Percocet and 80 milligrams of oxycodone for the pain. And even with all of those heavy narcotics, I was still going through anywhere from 40 on up to 70 grand mal seizures a day where I would flop around like a fish out of water and black out from the pain. But what it physically felt like was someone pouring gasoline on me, lighting me on fire, and leaving me for dead all those times. And how did uh, cannabis help not only um, uh, relieve those symptoms, but replace those other uh, uh, pharmaceutical meds that you were using, which morphine is like an opiate substitute, almost like heroin, except uh, not made from organic uh, plant material like cannabis is? That is very correct. And what has happened with the use of cannabis, it, it has stopped me from going through up anywhere from 40 to 70 grand mal seizures a day, down to having maybe just one or two a week, if that. Wow. And in 2004, it was so bad for me without the use of cannabis that I was going through anywhere from 30 to 70 grand mal seizures a day, even with the heavy opiates. And I decided after my mom passed away from colon cancer, Lord, I'm ready to go home. I felt my rib cage really carefully and placed a steak knife in my heart repeatedly to end my life. And I survived all of that, met this wonderful lady over the Internet, and then a housing authority in Anacortes, Washington, threw us out of our home for the medical use of marijuana, even though it was legal in Washington State for medical purposes. Wow. Um... Do you, um, do you want to describe the, the scientific reasons for why cannabis uh, helped stop your seizures? I know that uh, it is a neuroprotective substance. Um, children with epilepsy, um, anybody with epilepsy for that matter, uh, can use cannabis for the various cannabinoids that do control seizures. What, what are the various um, different properties of cannabis that benefit your serious conditions? Well, see, the thing is, is that the problem I have is not brain-related. It's pain-related due to the nerve bundle in my spinal cord being blocked at C7 at the top and the bottom of the disc where spinal fluid builds up in that area and then bursts through like a bubble bursting. And what cannabis does is we are born with a human endocannabinoid system, and cannabis is a neuroprotective and the CBCs and the CBDs in cannabis help protect my spinal cord and the nerves when I have those surges of fluid to where my body doesn't feel it and it stops the seizures before they take place. Wow, definitely. And that, again, yeah, the, the endocannabinoid system, that's something that we don't learn about in schools, in, in our science classes, yet it is so integral 
to the human body. Um, you live in Washington. Describe the state of medical cannabis, medical cannabis laws um, uh, since the passage of them, uh, fed how federal crackdowns um, have played in and how they have uh, stopped the ability of patients like yourself to get access to cannabis. Well, actually, we're going through federal crackdowns right now. A friend of mine was just raided two days ago in Spokane Valley, and he is now sitting in federal jail to where he's going to have a court case in Spokane at the federal courthouse at 3 o'clock Monday afternoon. Wow. And the DEA does not care about what the state laws are. We've had medical marijuana under I-692 since 1998, and it is listed to be able to go ahead and have up to 15 plants per patient, and you're able to go ahead and disperse to other patients at one patient at a time. And even though you're allowed to dispense to one patient at a time, in Seattle, they have 130 shops operating, but anywhere else, they are raiding people and putting them in jail. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, what, um, since you're a candidate for sheriff, what is the current office doing right now that it shouldn't be doing? Uh, what should they be doing that they're not doing, and, um, and how does that play into your platform? Well, it's really quite interesting because I went ahead and I did a radio show for a few years called Marijuana Factor Fiction at a KRFP in Moscow, Idaho. And while I was doing that show, I became a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, awesome. and interviewed a lot of wonderful people from there, as well as I got to have Hillary, um, I believe Hillary Shelton, who was the head of the NAACP at the time in Washington, D.C., and I also had Dr. Greg Carter on my show talking about the human endocannabinoid system. I also got to have several dispensary owners on my show and several patients. And I got to learn that patients were being ripped off by the dispensaries, not all of them, but quite a few of them. And I found out, too, that a lot of dispensaries that were trying to do it right were getting raided by the police. So I decided to quit doing my radio show and start doing my own cannabis delivery service through a business called Compassion Through Patients. And I got raided by our current sheriff, Brett Myers, in 2011, who's the head of the Quad City Drug Task Force. He had someone come in here with a piece of paper that they got from a doctor's office. I called the doctor's office to verify that paperwork to make sure it was legitimate. And then I helped that patient, and shortly thereafter, I got arrested for helping people. I found about how they busted me with this undercover officer. And clearly, under Washington state law, RCW 6950-403C, it is a Class C felony to get a controlled substance under false pretenses. So this undercover officer went ahead and broke the law he is supposed to uphold in order to cause someone else to be convicted of a crime. Now, when you're supposed to be a sheriff's officer or even an undercover officer, you're supposed to uphold the law and being a law enforcement officer, you're supposed to hold yourself to the highest regards of the law. 
how are you holding yourself to the law when you're breaking it in order to bring other people and push them into jail? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, What does that tell you about the nature of our justice system, and uh, what would you do as sheriff to better protect people's rights as opposed to just trying to get more notches in your belts for convictions like the other uh, candidates uh, would do? Well, uh, when a person takes the job of sheriff, they are supposed to be taking an oath of office to uphold all state laws as they are written, whether or not they like those laws. And by helping and allowing for DEA agents to come in and arrest people that are following state law, those sheriff's officers are violating their oath of office. And so I had discovered through my arrest that I had and my court case that I just recently won that a sheriff's officer is the highest officer of the law of the land, and they even have the right and the power to arrest DEA agents if they try to violate anyone's rights under state law. And so as a sheriff's officer, if a person running a dispensary was doing so in accordance to state law, I would arrest any DEA agent that violated the person's state rights. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and and the the oftentimes um, the sheriffs uh, kowtow to federal agents because they get strings attached with the uh, big federal weapons grants for paramilitarized police forces and just uh, grants for money in general, um, where they take state employees that are paid by the state, took their oath to the state, um, but uh, they just get cross deputized, put on a Fed DEA hat one day, and all of a sudden. They're able to to add to the manpower of a federal raid. Exactly, and yeah. this needs to stop because, as I say, they take an oath of office. They need to go ahead and quit cross-referencing with federal agents to where they overstep their oath of office and stand up to these people. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and uh, what what immediate actions could you take? Um, would you just hang up the phone on any any kind of uh, federal uh, prosecutor that is saying we want to coordinate a raid or anything like that? I would find out where the raid is taking place, and I would have enough of my officers down there to arrest any DEA agents that tried to circumvent the state law, that citizen, if they were operating within the guidelines of the law. Awesome. I wish I could hear that from my sheriff so badly. <laughs> Um, Well, that is why, you know, no one is doing this, mm -hmm. and no one is standing up to these judges and the DAs when they are being charged with crimes. I was facing four felony counts after my raid, and the first plea deal they offered me was to drop four felonies down to a simple misdemeanor with no jail time, no court fine, and I could still sue them for damages. I told them exactly where they could go with that plea offer, and then they came back a couple weeks later with another plea offer to where they wanted to just extend it for six months and then dismiss it like nothing ever happened. And I told them, no, you can kiss that away, too. I want a jury trial. Mm -hmm. What can uh, the sheriff's department have on fair trials, um, um, making sure that people are guaranteed speedy trials, guaranteed their defenses, Um, Even here in California, where we have a medical cannabis law, sometimes even caregivers uh, tried in state court don't even get a defense. Um, What could you do to help 
um, uh, make it a fair and constitutionally ad adhering uh, justice system? Well, the way I did it in my particular case is I had a public pretender at first who wanted to go ahead and work on my case. He wanted to just go ahead and use the state law and not the Washington state constitution in my case. And so I went ahead and wrote up a motion and filed it with the court to compel my public pretender to force him to go ahead and work on the case according to my wishes. Because I had discovered under Article 1, Section 12 of the Washington State Constitution, it stipulates you cannot give someone a privilege or an immunity of law without giving that privilege to all citizens throughout the state of Washington. And so by allowing for 130 shops to operate in Seattle, Washington, with the blessing of the mayor and the police department and arresting people in other communities here in Washington state, they're violating the Washington state constitution, and it stipulates under Article 29 that the constitution is mandatory. People in California need to go ahead and look at your own state constitution and see if you have any wording like that in your constitution and see if you can't go ahead and force these people to use the state constitution instead of state law, which is higher than the RCW codes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, for those just joining, I'm speaking with Adam Asenberg, candidate for sheriff in Whitman County, Washington, and he lives in Colfax, Washington. Um, let's discuss a bit about police militarization. Um, what could you do as sheriff to stop the flow of cash um, that being federal grants, um, not just for the war on drugs, but uh, through Department of Homeland Security grants for the war on terror designed to really uh, create a, a big police state. Um, what would you do in those areas to um, uh, prevent the militarization or paramilitarization of the police forces? Well, all I could do would be within Whitman County, of course. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that a lot of the money that comes in federally comes in from all of these drug busts that take place. And a lot of money has been taken away from criminal departments and placed into drug units just so they can keep that cash crop flow going back and forth between the federal government. Because a lot of people don't realize it, but when a state agency or a sheriff's department goes ahead and assists a federal DEA raid, all that money goes into the federal government coffers, and then the federal government goes ahead and kicks a little bit of that back into the local state police or state sheriff's department that helps them with the raid. And that is what is giving these police officers such an incentive to go ahead and violate their oath of office to protect all state laws is because they're seeing all this cash flow back and forth from the federal government. Mm -hmm. what, what would you do about the Department of Homeland Security uh, giving uh, armored vehicles and uh, ammunition uh, to local law enforcement uh, departments uh, for um, you know, supposed uh, domestic terrorism? What, what would you do about the police state and um, uh, respecting people's constitutional rights to free speech? I would always honor a person's constitutional right to free speech. That is something that is guaranteed to people, and that is something that is usually taken away now, which is just brutal. That is why I say that common citizens like me that have any incentive to try to make a change and work to help their fellow citizen really needs to get off their 
seat and join up and fight like I am. Register to run for office and beat these people that are currently in office that are not upholding people's rights. But so many times, big money gets in the way of it, greed gets in the way of it, and there goes a person wanting to do anything. We need to go ahead and have these activists quit waving signs, quit filing these petitions, and get involved in getting involved in office. Definitely. What would you do um, to stop the indefinite detention of Americans with the new uh, National Defense Authorization Act? Would you have your officers di- di- uh, flatly out disobey it? I would have my officers do anything and everything according to the state constitution of Washington before they allowed for any homeland security, any federal agencies, or anything else. The Sheriff's Department is the, just like the law of the West in the old days. It is the head office. It is the law of the land. And if a sheriff wants to go ahead and protect a person's rights through the state constitution, it is that sheriff's right to do so. But very few of them do anymore. And so as the head of the Whitman County Sheriff's Department, I would order all my officers to follow the dictates of that before anything else and not get involved in federal policy wherever possible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's, it's very, very, very refreshing to hear that. Um, here in San Diego, we've had a few cases where um, uh, law enforcement officers in helicopters with infrared technology just browsing around, you know, looking into people's homes. No big deal, um, sarcastically speaking, of course. But Actually, it is a big deal yeah. <laughs> because that's a violation of a person's private rights inside their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you do to stop those types of things as well as uh, possible, you know, uh, uh, going back to federal grants, grants for things like drones and other kind of very in- invasive and dangerous technologies? Well, things like that are usually ordered by the sheriff's department of the various counties, And I would see to it that nothing like that was ordered within my county's jurisdiction unless there was evidence beforehand of a person committing a crime. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One of your uh, uh, photos on your campaign website has a a picture of you wearing a a shirt of the late author Peter McWilliams. And he is just one of many anecdotal stories of having medicine taken away. And for every second he goes without the medicine— thus suffering, and he was an HIV-AIDS patient, and of course, um, that is a very, very deadly disease, and without cannabis, suffered until his death. What do you make of, of, you know, the timeliness of having access to cannabis that, you know, people are suffering without it? Well, what gets me is the fact that we already have two marijuana pills that are on the market right now. We have Marinol and we have Dronevinol, which is a generic cousin, which is normally the cheaper of the two narcotics. And a lot of people don't realize it, but the those two pills are oil-based, man-made pills that have nothing of the real plant in them, and the only chemical they actually have is THC. They don't actually have all the CBCs and the CBDs that the natural plant has, it has so many of the medical qualities. And what really gets me is those pills in Washington State, when someone's on Social Security and state medical coupons, it's costing taxpayers $1,724 a month for 90 10-milligram pills per patient. 
And that's millions of dollars per state going to big pharmaceutical companies, and that's the reason this is really kept illegal. Mm -hmm. That and the fact that we need to keep the jails filled so that way we can go ahead and keep all these police officers hired that we have right now. It's the unions that are keeping this illegal. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's such an entrenched power behind it. Um, For those just joining, I'm speaking with Adam Asenberg. He is a candidate for sheriff in Whitman County, Washington, and he's from Colfax, Washington. Um, Give us a sort of a brief uh, viewpoint um, plank of of immediate action items you would do uh, if you were elected. Well, the first thing I would do is have two officers from the sheriff's department and two people from the general public work together to review the daily operations of the sheriff's department to make sure that no state constitutional violations are being taken care of against the citizens, making sure no one's rights are being harmed. The second thing I would do is once a month I would hold public meetings with the general public to go ahead and see about any hot spots that are occurring at the time that the police department may not be aware of. And also to get any input as to how our office might be able to serve the public better. Another thing that I would do is I was very interested to discover on my court case that once it was completed and I won my case, I wanted to find out how much my particular case cost the taxpayers of the state of Washington. And I found out there's not a single agency that keeps track of any of the financial costs of the taxpayer money that is spent on these court cases. And so I would see to it, at least from the viewpoint of the Sheriff's Department, that any investigative time that is done on any cases would be accounted for, so that way our department would be able to keep track of where the taxpayer money is going, where right now that is not being done. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, is your, um, what is your stance on the Second Amendment and how that relates to mandatory minimums? Because especially with, with cannabis, you have cannabis and gun unrelated, but that just stacks up the mandatory minimums. As far as I'm concerned, the Second Amendment cannot be violated. A medical marijuana patient, a medical marijuana provider, should have a right to possess a firearm because all you're doing by taking away their guns is telling the criminals, hey, it is open season, come in and raid these people. They have no real protection against you. And that that includes the government as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who are your opponents in the race? And um, um, since you're running on definitely a, a positive message based on ideas and not names or big money and uh, maintaining the status quo, uh, what's the field like? How do you think you can get elected? Um, uh, what are some of the strategies you're going to go after? Well, as far as my running mate goes, the only person that I could possibly have so far that I know of is Brett Myers. But it is still early because the election is not till 2014 in November. He has not re-registered yet as a possible candidate. So I'm the only actual registered candidate at this point in time. But one of my strategies, which I've already been working on, is when the Washington State University is in session, all of a sudden the growth of Whitman County is about three times as large as it normally is. 
And so I'm trying to build up the student body of the Washington State University to really get behind my message of bringing new life into the Justice Department and making it to where we serve and protect again instead of rob and harass. Mm -hmm. And And that is one of the policies and schemes I'm working on. The other idea I have is on 420, and what a better time to have it, we're going to be having the first hemp fest of the season down in Moscow, Idaho, and I'll be speaking on stage about the campaign down there, and there's a lot of Washington State University students that come down there. And then I will more than likely be speaking at the Seattle Hemp Fest as well this year. Awesome. Where can uh, people uh, donate to your campaign, um, find your campaign online, and do you have any final messages for the listeners? Uh, Yeah, I would like to say before I give the contact information that one of the other things I would like to do if I get elected is take money back out of the narcotics unit, place it into the criminal unit to where property crimes are actually getting investigated again because out here they're really not getting investigated anymore just over a phone call and that's about it. Mm -hmm. And if we go ahead and get these criminals arrested that are breaking into people's homes, cars, and everything else, and causing all these other horrendous crimes throughout the state, we could go ahead and take care of a lot of drugs at the same time because a lot of these criminals go ahead and rob to support their drug habits. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that use cannabis and other things that are able to hold down a 40-hour work week, take care of their families, and not be a problem to society. Let's go ahead and spend our resources on the actual problem cases through the criminal divisions that are causing harm to other people and leave the other people alone. And as far as getting hold of me goes, you can do it two ways. You can go ahead and log on to my campaign website at marijuanafactorfiction.org, or you can go ahead and give me a call at area code 509-288-4799. As far as donating goes, right now I don't have anything online, but if you call me or check on my website, my mail address for my post office box and everything is right there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, uh, filing requirements? Do they have to give you their full name address um, uh, and the, you know, the IRS thing where they have to you know, put the, their occupation information? They have to fill out what information they want to give me if they would like a tax deduction on this because right now with me being filed with the Public Disclosure Commission of Washington State, I do believe people can go ahead and start writing their campaign donations off on their taxes if they wish to help me. Oh, did, I didn't even know that. That sounds, that sounds really cool. So Adam Asenberg, candidate for sheriff in Whitman County, Washington, and he's from Colfax, Washington. Uh, thank you very much for joining the program. I thank you very much for having me. And you can check out his actual, his new website, which is Adam, the number four, sheriff.org. And it is a little, it is 834. That means it is time for the news. So I talked about the bombing. I talked about not giving up our civil liberties in the name of safety because you know what? 
You know how in 24, Jack Bauer, like, ripped out the intestines of this supposed terrorist suspect to get information at? Well, not to get information at, because he wasn't getting giving him information to begin with, so he said, enough with this, I'm going to rip your intestines out, and Jack Bauer ripped his intestines out. Does that... Do people really think that's how it goes down, that you have to rip the guy's intestines out to stop a terrorist attack? Well, that's not how it works. Real life is not like 24. We don't we don't get, get made safer by giving up our civil liberties. So I can't stand this neocon argument anymore. It's just like, uh, is life a fictional TV show to you? Uh, it boggles my mind. In state news, San Diego police assault and arrest man for filming them. The detainee was being written a ticket for smoking a cigarette on the Mission Beach boardwalk. The officer claimed the cell phone was a weapon before smacking it out of his hand, tackling this person, and then lacerating his chin. It has been established by numerous court cases that police do not have the right to take away your camera. Yeah, it's a weapon, all right, a weapon of accountability. And I don't think they like that. In national news, Obama is misleading the public on drone strikes, saying we only go after high-level Al-Qaeda. And I have it written down here as Al-Qaeda. A friend of mine tipped me off to that uh, way to spell it because Al-Qaeda is a creation of the CIA. But we actually go after low-level suspected militants, not to mention that drone strikes have a 2% accuracy. So even if we take out the target... Innocents die as collateral damage. I do believe the the Al Qaeda term is from Freedom's Phoenix. Not sure, (laughs) but it is a great way to put it. George W. Bush is okay with his record. Objectively speaking, this war criminal at least publicly admits that he can sleep at night. I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with what I did. President Bush said, "I'm comfortable with who I am." Citigroup profits are up 30%. After taking billions in bailouts, CEO bonuses skyrocketing, the powerful banking firm Citigroup claims their profits are up because of a recovering economy. This misleading this is misleading information because we are not in a recovery. This is just another artificial bubble being blown up by the Federal Reserve printing money out of thin air. WikiLeaks document dump implicates Henry Kissinger in world affairs. Henry Kissinger, who has been spotted at a Bilderberg Group conference uh, time and again, has been revealed by WikiLeaks to have had a fundamental role in U.S. foreign policy and establishing the modern international order back in the 70s. The The cables also implicate the Vatican having colluded with many South American dictators and despots. FBI shows up at a teenager's home to ask about his Ron Paul school report. Justin Hallman, a 16-year-old high school student's video report for his American government class, earned him an A-plus from his teacher. It also yielded him a visit from the FBI. He discussed the NDAA, Ron Paul, Anonymous, Occupy Wall Street, and the Illuminati. The FBI agents tried to coax him into going undercover and gathering information on Anonymous and Occupy. The FBI has thus not let up on their efforts to infiltrate and squash Occupy. Also, this raises some alarms for the broad definition of domestic terrorists, 
which may be used for political ends rather than to keep us safe from real terrorists. Most of the Soviet secret police were not there to keep you safe, but to keep tabs on people on the chance there may be political opposition to their incumbent power. The ACLU says that the IRS is spying on emails without warrants despite the 2010 ruling. The agency that collects the fruits of labor off the people's backs and then hands it over to the central banking cartels that loan the money to the government on interest in the first place is ignoring a 2010 court ruling and gathering info on emails without warrants. Bitcoin drops due to server load, uh, causing a panicked sell-off. A Reddit user gave away a ton of Bitcoin, causing lags in the Bitcoin network across the board, causing a panic and a massive sell-off and price drop. However, the anonymous digital currency is still 90 times more valuable than the dollar itself. Not just in the exchange rate, but in the nature of the currency itself, not being tied to wars for oil or corrupt central banking cartels, making it have more value than a dollar uh, that can be manipulated by fiat. The CISPA bill loses all privacy protections. The bill that the late Aaron Swartz described as Patriot Act for the Internet has been amended to remove all privacy protections for the innocent. Obama meets with Wall Street CEOs. Obama met with Wall Street CEOs to try and forge a better relationship with the industry. As if bailing them out wasn't enough. As if appointing Jack Lew of Citigroup, who received CEO bonuses from bailout money. Appointing him to Secretary of Treasury isn't enough. As if attending the Bilderberg Conference in 2008 with Hillary Clinton before receiving the Democratic nomination wasn't enough to prove that he is one of the elites. This public relations stunt is making Obama seem less corporatist than he actually is. Police attempt to falsely arrest a teen after assaulting him at his home. A $20 million lawsuit filed, filed Tuesday against the town and members of the police department claims police conspired to falsely arrest a 12-year-old boy after he was assaulted by an officer at his home. Ron Paul to launch Foreign Policy Institute and claims that Bradley Manning is more deserving of the Nobel Peace Prize than President Obama. In international news, extremist rebels in Syria are growing stronger as U.S. steps up funding. The Syrian rebels, who are comprised of some extremist jihadists, are growing stronger as Secretary of State John Kerry is seeking to step up funding for an organization that is filled with members of Al-Qaeda. We are currently repeating the mistakes of the 1980s when Rumsfeld and Brzezinski created Al-Qaeda, Mujahideen, and the Taliban with U.S. money, weapons, and training. In fact, Brzezinski is still active in our government. Or the government. Uruguay legalizes gay marriage. The third nation in the American continent to do so. An Israeli journalist, Amira Haas, sparks furor at home for standing up for Palestinians. Amira is the only Israeli Jewish journalist to spend 20 years living in and reporting from Gaza and West Bank. Recently has been the subject of malicious hate mail and calls for her arrest for de defending the right of Palestinians to resist violent occupation. Haas said Israelis remain in denial about how... Much violence is used on a daily basis against Palestinians, she says. They don't like to be told that someone has the right to resist their violence. This is typical, uh, a typical, you know, hate mail towards people, people who are of Jewish faith, including those who have 
ancestors wiped out the Holocaust who also openly condemned the apartheid, but them being Jewish and having ancestors dying in the Holocaust still gets them called and smeared anti-Semitic. Doesn't make sense to me, but it's an unfortunate irony for those who wish to speak freely. In other news, today marks the third anniversary of the passing of legendary hemp activist Jack Herrer. The weather outside here in San Marcos, where KKSM broadcasts out of, is 58 degrees. There is a 47-mile-per-hour slowdown at the 5 northbound at 76. Broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. My name is Alex Fidel, host of Free Thought Radio. We'll get to more news stories later, but up next on the playlist is Uniformed Guards by Plasmatics and The Central Scrutinizer by Frank Zappa. And the song Uniformed Guards has to do with, you know, the kind of, you know, the V for Vendetta movie situation where the the guy satires the president of the country on, on television and then gets taken away in the night. You know, Thought Police, that w- with this whole thing happening in Boston and they're going to, you know, CNN trying to blame right-wing extremists, that this could lead to, you know, prosecution of people for crimes of conscience, which are not crimes at all. And uh, it's it's that's the road we're leading down because the Department of Homeland Security is not a counterterrorism organization. They are just a political organization. They seek to advance the goal of the two major political parties by eventually, uh, uh, you know, creating a police state that eventually quashes political dissent, not real terrorism, you know, people holding peacefully held views, not violently held views. Um, and and even if some one person acts in violence and they somehow claim to have this view that they share in common with somebody else, well, they're a madman and they're acting on their own. There are, you know, a lot of people, uh, of course, activists or pol- political movements are, you know, like Gandhi and even anarchists, you know, they're especially libertarian-leaning anarchists about the non-aggression principle that, Homeland Security probably knows that, possibly, but they're not going to care anyways. They're about, you know, squashing and getting rid of political dissent because less political dissent means more incumbency, more people getting reelected instead of getting de-elected and being replaced by somebody new. And that's exactly the, the road we're going down. So this is Uniformed Guards by the Plasmatics. And then after that, this Central Scrutinizer by Frank Zappa. All enforcing all the laws that have not been passed yet here on KKSM, the Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network.
Corporate media sells you superficial music, movies, and rams a rigid left-right political paradigm and two-party system down your throat. My name is Alex Fiddle, host of Free Thought Radio. Tune in as I give voice to the unsung in the musical, cinematic, and political philosophical world. Instead of listening to neoconservative hacks on AM radio, hear the alternative voices in the independent, libertarian, and progressive viewpoints in contrary to the establishment news sources which censor the government's true actions as an aggressor around the world and expose yourself to different artists and genres of music as true art makes life positive and fruitful. Free Thought is live Mondays, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on KKSM, The Radio Revolution, and podcasting throughout the week at lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network, freethoughtmedia.org. Are you tired of governments murdering people around the world? Stop using their money. There is an alternative. Bitcoin is a stateless, free market, non-political currency. Bitcoin cannot be inflated or controlled by any government. By using their money, you are helping the state. You have an incredible alternative available now. Learn it, use it, spread it. Get started with Bitcoin at WeUseCoins.com. That's WeUseCoins.com. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. 
You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. You're part of the radio revolution. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, chips, dips, chains, whips. You know, your basic high school orgy type of thing. KKSM AM 1320. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fidel. 855, it's time for the rest of the news. federal government is stealing private information on Oregon medical cannabis patients. Despite Oregon's best efforts to keep medical marijuana patient records private, a federal search warrant forced the state agency to hand over some records, according to recently discovered court records. Louisiana police sergeant arrested for drug dealing. An 18-year veteran state police sergeant was arrested Monday in Monroe, on a variety of criminal violations, including narcotics distribution, according to the superintendent of state police, Colonel Mike Edmondson. The Maine Attorney General is resisting efforts to reform drone surveillance. The Attorney General is pushing back against meaningful limits on law enforcement's use of drones, according to the ACLU of Maine. After hearing from both the ACLU and Attorney General Janet Mills, Yesterday, the Judiciary Committee deferred action on LD-236, a bill that would require police to get a probable cause warrant before using drones to collect information about people in most cases. Uh, President Obama claims that the FHA needs a bailout. The government and the Federal Reserve have been buying up mortgage-backed securities in the same way Wall Street had done before the crash. Now President Obama says the Federal Housing Administration needs a bailout. The Obama administration's proposed budget projects the agency, which insures more than $1 trillion in mortgages and has a large presence in the Memphis housing market, market, would need a $943 million bailout this year to stabilize its shaky long-term finances. It would be the first time the FHA, which is financed by the premiums it charges homeowners, has needed taxpayer funds in its 79-year history. 3D printing unites hackers and gun rights activists. Having recently obtained his federal manufacturing license, um, Wilson hopes to release, oh, this is from Reason 24-7, uh, hopes to release files from world's first fully 3D printable firearm by the end of this month. His past progress has already thrown a major wrench into the Americans' resurgent Gun control debate, feeding doubts about the efficacy of renewed bans on undetectable firearms. But his reasoning, he claims, isn't really about the Second Amendment at all. Is it about? It's about technological process, progress, rendering the very concept of gun control meaningless. A hunger striker at Guantanamo speaks out. Uh, he says, one man here weighs just 77 pounds, another 98. Last thing I knew, I weighed 132, but that was a month ago. I've been on a hunger strike since February 10th, and I've lost well over 30 pounds. I will not eat until they restore my dignity. U.S. interest payments on debt to hit $763 billion by 2023. The Federal Reserve is going to be anticipating a higher standard of living for their employees and families when more U.S. tax dollars are redirected into their pockets for debt owed to them by the U.S. government. In international news, Israel attacks Syria. 
Israeli troops are claiming to have scored a quote-unquote direct hit, and this is from antiwar.com, in an attack on a target inside Syria today after responding to what they claimed was gunfire towards Israel that did no damage and caused no injuries. Uh, Israel uh, pioneers in alternative medicine and, and anti-establishment science. Uh, in an area where Israel is doing good, uh, which coincidentally are the actions of people and not the oppressive violent government, they have pioneered research on medical marijuana, as well as recently banning the addition of sodium fluoride in the water supply, and I am oh, so against fluoridation of water. This is very good news. Um, and uh, that about does it for the news. I talked about that today is the third anniversary of the passing of hemp activist Jack Herr. There are a few slowdowns. There's a slowdown 5 northbound at the 76, 48 miles per hour slowdown, and 5 southbound at La Jolla Parkway, 41 miles per hour slowdown, 78 westbound at Center City Parkway, 50 miles per hour, 78 westbound at East Off College Boulevard, 50 miles per hour slowdown. And that has been your news. So my guest next week is Lloyd Kaufman, the creator of the Toxic Avenger and president of Troma Movies, as well as Electro Pig, hemp activist and founder of uh, Overgrow the World, and uh, should be a very, very interesting show. Point I want to make about Tax Day. You should go online, check out the movie America, Freedom to Fascism. Uh, or another good one is the American Dream film. It's a cartoon, both of them about the Federal Reserve and the IRS. First of all, the Federal Reserve is a private bank created by an elite group of Wall Street bankers in 1913, and it was passed at the same time as the income tax. Why, you may ask? Well, the government has the constitutional authority to issue their own money for free, you know, just uh, except for the uh, cost of mining gold and silver, which is considered constitutional currency. Unfortunately, the Fed... Uh, creates money for the government on interest. So they profit off of loaning the government money. So any pretty much damn near all pennies of tax dollar goes straight back to the pockets of these bankers to pay back on interest on the debt. And again, they're, they're only collecting interest. The principal on the debt, I don't think we're ever going to be pay We're ever going to pay off. So when you're working, remember that you're not working for, you know, the things that you think you're working for, like roads and social programs and everything like that. You're working for Ben Bernanke and these elite Federal Reserve bankers. So happy or not so happy tax day or Federal Reserve enslavement day to every one of you. Um, huh, gosh. What a racket. So please keep looking into it. And by the way, uh, as far as the IRS goes, there did you know that there is actually no law that requires compulsory compliance with the income tax? It even uses a specific word, voluntary. They don't even use the word voluntary with traffic laws. There is no law that requires a United States citizen to fill out a 1040 or 1099 or W-2 or whatever, or even pay the income tax. Although, I'm not saying you shouldn't because they have a lot of guns and, 
and influence. So that it's just food for thought. You know, I'm not saying you should evade taxes because for it would be the moral thing to do. Yes, it'd be keeping your own money, but it would also be crazy, and you'd suffer a lot criminally. Look at Wesley Snipes. So the instead of evading your taxes, why not? contribute to activist efforts to abolish peaceful activist efforts to abolish the IRS and the Federal Reserve altogether this 2013 the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve and the income tax so be sure to tune in next week Monday is live 6 to 9 p.m. in San Diego it's North County San Diego and then some you know goes past the I-15 in Fallbrook and south to past La Jolla and stuff so you could get it pretty uh, around North County San Diego and then some like going east and everything like that or throughout the week at lrn.fm the Liberty Radio Network my guest next week is the creator of trauma movies Lloyd Kaufman and Electro Pig he is he's going to talk about the need to plant cannabis plants in public places is called the um, uh, public plantings, if you will. He's going to go into it. So be sure to check out freethoughtmedia.org and the Facebook page and everything like that. And also facebook.com slash KKSM radio and facebook.lrn.fm for more info. Thank you all for listening and have a good night. And a happy 420.